evening. Welcome to our meeting. Welcome to the uh, December 17th regular meeting of the School Board of Shawnee Mission School District. Our first item on the agenda is the Pledge of Allegiance, and I'm going to say it slowly so that our helpers can come forward. We have the students from Brookwood, Brook Ridge Elementary. Everyone, please stand. Of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you for being here. <coughs> Principal Yoakum, would you like to introduce our guest today? <coughs> Can you hear? Oh, there it is. Thank you for inviting us. Um, this group is two groups of students. We have students from our site council that are in fifth and sixth grade. We have 17 students on our site council. And then we also have students that are from our Good Neighbor Committee. And our Good Neighbor Committee was started this year because, as you know, around elementary schools, when we have events, we kind of take over the neighborhood. So we thought it was a good idea to take little goodie bags to all the houses that surround the school to say, thank you for being our neighborhood. We know it's a good thing most of the time, but occasionally we kind of invade. So we just want to say we appreciate you being our neighborhood. So I'll have each of our students introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Milo Olinger. I'm in fifth grade, and I'm in the site counseling meeting. I'm, Gabri I'm Gabriella Cazares in fourth grade, and I'm from the Good Neighbor Committee. I'm Brandon Richard. I, and I am in sixth grade from the site council. I am Ariana Rivera. I am in sixth grade and I'm from the site council. I am Jackson Young and I am from the site council. Thank you Thank for you. being here. We appreciate it. Thank you. They're more than welcome to stay if they'd like, but I bet they have finals. <laughs> Uh, before we begin the rest of the meeting, I want to recognize the fact that here we are, almost uh, wrapping up the fall semester. Uh, at the high school level, the uh, finals are either underway or are, are really close. Um, but I have to see if there's any students here today that are making a last-minute attempt to get some credit for their government class. And if so, would you raise your hands? We want to recognize you. There they are. Thank you for being here. And if you stick out the whole meeting, Dr. Fulton would be glad to sign your paper and even do a selfie with you. So there. Right. <laughs> uh, with that, we'll move to item number 1.03, and that's the adoption of the agenda. I'll seek a motion. I'll make a motion. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Second. And it was a tie. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. <laughs> All those in favor of adopting the agenda this evening, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. With that, we move on to the minutes of uh, four meetings that we've had since the last time we've met. Uh, and so I'll seek a motion. First of all, is, any, is anyone uh, not comfortable with us putting all four together? Uh, seeing no objection, uh, I'll seek a motion to approve all four sets of minutes in one motion. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. I'm an echo. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. A and second, Mrs. Zila. Thank, Thank you. you. There you go. All those in favor of approving the minutes, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. That moves us on to uh, section two, which is our communication items. And first up is 2.01, superintendent report. Dr. Fulton. Thank you. 
Well, we want to start off with uh, recognizing a school. The National Association of Elementary and Secondary Education Act, also known as e ESEA, uh, the state that the state pro that the state administers, announced that Roseland Elementary School has been named a national ESEA distinguished school. Roseland is one of only 100 schools in the country and one of two in the state to receive this prestigious honor. Roseland is being recognized in the program's category that showcases school success in closing the achievement gap between student groups. Congratulations to the students and staff, parents, and community of Roseland. The Shawnee Mission School District, yeah. The Shawnee Mission School District and Chris McAuliffe Elementary School were honored by the United States Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. The district and school are, were honored for innovative approaches and practical actions students and staff have taken to prevent and reduce food, food waste. The district was named an EPA Region 7 honoree and Chris McAuliffe Elementary received national recognition. Students and staff in all buildings in the district participate in composting and recycling. We're just very excited for the district and especially for Chris McAuliffe for this prestigious award. I think we should give them a yeah. Nicholas Platko, Shawnee Mission South Associate Principal, was selected as the East Central Kansas Music Educators Association Honor Administrator of the Year for 2018. Platko was nominated by the music staff at Shawnee Mission South for his support of music groups and the Performing Arts Department. The honor is given to recognize administrators who are leaders in developing, improving, and supporting music education and arts education. Congratulations to him. Stanford University recently presented a teacher tribute to Brenda Bott, Biotechnology Signature Program Coordinator for Exceptional Teaching. Aaron Smith, a Shawnee Mission West and Biotechnology Program graduate, who was recently named a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30 Class of 2018, nominated Bott for the Stanford recognition. She acknowledged Bott for playing a significant role in her intellectual, academic, and personal development. Congratulations to her. Well, and now it is time for the Shawnee Mission All-Star recognitions. To begin, I want to invite Dr. Brittany Gonzer, principal at Ryan Bittenhoven, uh, elementary to introduce us to our first honoree this evening. For having us. Um, it is my honor to introduce everyone tonight to someone who plays a critical role in our Knights family every single day. Um, someone who motivates all of our kids. Someone who gets to know the interests and the strengths um, and even the struggles of all of our kids at our school. Uh, he's positive and he's upbeat. Uh, he knows that he plays a role in the success of every single child in our building. Um, he was one of the first people to welcome me into the Benninghoven community when I arrived this year. Um, and he's a friend to everyone who walks through our doors. Uh, he's invented his own incentive system within our school um, and a secondary school mascot along the way. Um, he's an aspiring children's author. And he teaches valuable lessons to all of us every single day. 
So please join me in honoring uh, Mr. Michael Wesner, who is someone that really lives our mantra of all means all every single day. We're going to hold on just a second. We're going to show a nice video. As soon as we tell him, Mr. Michael, do you copies on the walkie-talkie, like, fast. He asked them to help clean up the cafeteria. They're more likely to want to help him because they like him. He's here quickly with a smile, and he reassures the kids that everything's okay. He'll get it fixed. He does work tremendously hard to ensure that Benny Hoven looks fabulous at all times, is safe for students, and certainly in repair. He just a, has a very calm and peaceful presence, and really good job of building relationships with, with all our students. The kids feel feeling sad about something. Um, he'll just smile at us, and it makes us happy. I just think it's great that he's being recognized for that relationship he has with them and that community he's built with the PTA, the students, and the staff. Almost immediately when he started here, he started a squirrel family, and the squirrel would hide in different places in the building, and the kids would be like, there's a squirrel here. It's Mr. Mike's squirrel. And so it wasn't anything anybody ever asked him to do. He just started doing these things. He makes you persevere in all your schoolwork so that you can get to take home the squirrel. He said to me, you may take Skipper home for the weekend when you have five good days. Well, working with a squirrel is interesting, um, but working with Mike's always a joy. Uh, he definitely brightens my day with some of the jokes he cracks and just him himself. He's just a funny guy. He's super nice, super friendly, and super good at being a janitor. He is the best janitor, and he's really nice to us, and that's really all. Oh, yes. It's been a great honor. Uh, excuse the boys here. Uh, to be recognized uh, for what I've done. And of course, I owe a lot of it to the staff and the students who have helped support the squirrel also and uh, allowed me to explore some boundaries with some of the special needs there. So again, thank you very much and till next time. <laughs> And now I invite Brett Pumphrey, principal at Apache Innovative School, to introduce our next honoree. And good evening, board, and good evening to everyone else here. It is easy for me to introduce our um, all-star representing Apache IS tonight. Um, I am introducing Becca Dopheid. She is a special education teacher at Apache. And when I think about an all-star, I think about um, what would it look like without them at in their role, in their, where they are. And Becca is somebody who lives in a way that she would be noticed if it, it would be noticed if she was gone in many aspects of our school, from parent relationships, 
staff relationships, student relationships, to the quality of the instruction in classrooms, to the quality of the instruction in our special education department. Um, and I think one way to show the impact um, is just to say, raise your hand if you're here in support of Ms. Dopheid tonight and celebrating her. Wow. There are several here in support of her tonight. Awesome. Um, and that really, I think, is a testament to who she is and who she is at our school. Um, so I think we can learn a lot from the video, but it is certainly an honor to introduce um, Becca Dopide tonight. It's hard to put into words what Becca Dopide does with students because you have to see her in action. It's hard to explain because it's just magical. Becca simply captures the essence of what special education is about. She just simply doesn't give up on kids. And you can see it in her interactions with kids. And I think it's so important because she's able to build that bond of trust with these kids, which isn't always easy to do. She's an amazing educator. She cares so deeply about every single person that she comes into contact with. And she really, truly does embody the all means all because she just puts her whole heart into teaching. So I love Becca. When you see Becca working with students, you really just kind of take a step back and just watch in awe because she's so natural. She believes in students and it makes kids believe in themselves and that they can accomplish anything. And that's what makes her special. I know that sounds really simple, but it's actually um, really difficult to do. My favorite thing to do with her is laugh. <laughs> like she makes me laugh and it's funny. Like she makes everyone laugh, which brings up to them. In one of my leadership classes, we had to think about um, the culture of our school and the heroes of our school, and she was the first person that came to mind, just a hero, and I'm just so glad she's here at Apache. I can't imagine my job without her. I know that my son is happy when he's here, he's safe when he's here. Each night when we give thanks for the things that happen during the day that we're thankful for, her name pops up all the time. Congratulations, Miss Duffy. You should deserve the award. You're nice, amazing, and confident and beautiful. Congratulations, Becca. You deserve this more than anybody. The world needs a thousand Becca Dothides in it. I'm so grateful that you're here at Apache and you're working with these kids and you have such a wonderful bond with them. We're just very grateful that you're part of our lives and part of the Apache community. I'm so thankful that you got this and I'm so thankful I get to teach with you every day. Thank you for all you do for students at Apache IS. We all know the amazing work that you do every day, um, and you know um, how much we appreciate you. Um, I'm glad that now others know about the amazing work you do. definition of all means all. It's through her life. And um, boy, thanks. <laughs> uh, I want to accept this and I'm honored beyond belief for this. Uh, but one person doesn't mean all means all. It's because of Apache and it's because of you guys. So I'm accepting it on behalf of Apache as community. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to teach there. It's a gift. Thank you so much. 
you and congratulations again to our honorees. Very well deserved. Thank you for being here. And for all those that are here to support them, thank you for your being here today too. You're more than welcome to stay for the rest of the meeting, but we understand if you have somewhere else to go. Totally. <clears throat> With that, we'll move on to uh, item 2.02, which is our board reports. And I'll turn to Reverend Guy, any update on uh, SMAC PTA? Um, we have the next meeting in January, and so I should have an update after I get to go to that meeting. All right, thank you. And uh, Mrs. Owsley on the Education Foundation. Um, there's been some conversations with regards to um, having SMEF help with raising some money to cover some of the consulting fees on the strategic plan, and I think we're going to hear from them and from Dr. Fulton about that more later. Thank you. Um, Mrs. Zila, any updates from KASB since we last met? Well, uh, we, since we last met, we had the, um, the convention, the annual convention, which was here in town, which made it very handy for at least our contingent to be there. And we had a good showing of, of our board there. And I think um, they always offer some good um, speakers. They offer some good workshops, I think, that helps broaden our board prowess, if you will. So. It was a very good time. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> and uh, we'll move on to um, Mrs. Goodburn for the constituent services. Update there. We've got a meeting coming up soon. Uh, I believe we have one Wednesday. Okay. So. Great. And then professional services, Mrs. Zila. Yes. Um, <clears throat> we've had several meetings, and in some of our deliberations there, we have come to the realization or a different kind of viewpoint that possibly if we could do it in a cost-neutral way, it would be best for us initially to look at internal counsel. Um, so that's kind of an option that we have discussed lately, and then we'll move on to maybe an outside counsel firm, probably later in the spring or summer, something like that. So I think initially for internal counsel, I think we're going to be looking at the first of the year, something like that. We'll post that, but I will turn that over to Dr. Fulton to kind of expand on. Yes, we had a great conversation among committee members, part of what we've done in evaluating the, uh, the value of having internal counsel is to look at cost. And can I interrupt and, and clarify, no one said the word legal yet. So this legal. is legal, legal counsel. Legal Thank counsel, you. right. So there's a certain amount of money that the district obviously spends every year on legal counsel. And uh, one of the things that we've done is we've looked back over the last several years to deal with the question of, would it be cost effective? Could there even be a cost savings potentially if we had internal counsel versus contracting all of those services out? And based on our analysis, it's pretty clear that at the very uh, least we can go cost neutral. And in many years, I think we'll realize cost savings, sometimes quite a bit of cost savings, by hiring internal counsel. Mm -hmm. Uh, legal counsel. And so that's something that Olathe and Blue Valley, for example, already do. It's not uncommon for a district our size to have its own in-house legal counsel. And so after going through this process, it became clear to us that uh, that was a need that we had. And so it made sense to get that need filled first and then continue on with the RFP process with the same firms that we have that submitted RFPs and decide who we would need uh, for uh, external support. And so we'll begin the process of getting, putting together a job description and in the not too distant future, begin the process of uh, posting that position. 
Thank you. And thank you, Mrs. Zila, for leading that. Uh, there's been quite a few meetings that have taken place, and the other members of that group, Mrs. Mack and Mrs. Owsley, thank you for your help in that process. Uh, with that, we'll uh, social media task force, Mrs. Owsley. Um, so we've been having a discussion about folding this into a policy task force as opposed to the social media task force, and I think that comes up later in the agenda as well when we'll touch back on that. Okay. okay. All right. Thanks. We'll cover that as we move down the agenda today. Thank you. Yes. Um, I just wanted to add in that the KASB legislative Oh, did I skip committee, you? I'm so um, sorry. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, it's on. The, some of the pieces are on the agenda later, so I'll, I just wanted to, to note that the legislative the KASB um, voted in to approve the legislative platform. There were no further amendments um, to that report. So that has been approved for the 2019 legislative session. Thank you, and thank mm -hmm. you for alerting me that we skipped right over you there. Yes, sir. Appreciate that. Um, with that, we'll move on to item 2.03, which is the board financial report. Uh, Dr. Fulton. Yes, I'm going to have Dr. I'm going to have Dr. Atha come up, if you would, please. I don't believe there are any anomalies in the current report. There's not. And, um, but we are prepared to answer any questions that you may have. Questions about the financial report? All right, move on to the next item. Why don't we just move right on to uh, item 2.04. Yes, yeah, so tonight I'm pleased to present to the board the comprehensive annual financial report for fiscal year end, June 30th, 2018. Uh, in my world, it's called the CAFR for short. Uh, this is something we do each year. It's required by state statute to have an independent audit performed by an outside accounting firm. Um, ours is performed by Mize Hauser, uh, and he's here tonight, and I'll bring him up here in a minute. Um, the one thing to tie this back into our budget documents, if I take you back to August where you approved the, the budget document, obviously you approved budget for 1819, but also there's two prior years of actual financial data there. So that's what Mize Hauser audits, that's 17, 18, all that financial data. We give the Mize Hauser, they compile that in the financial statements, they audit all those transactions, and then they render an opinion on that. And that's the comprehensive annual financial report that's on the, the uh, board agenda tonight. So I'll bring up Abram Chrislip. He's with Meishauser, and his team is the one that performs that audit, and he'll discuss a little bit more in depth on the, uh, the CAFR. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me tonight. Um, as Russ said, uh, this um, this audit report is uh, here to fulfill a couple different requirements. One is that this, the state of Kansas requires all school districts to have an annual uh, financial audit prepared each year. Uh, secondly, because the district spends more than $750,000 annually in federal aid, there are some federal requirements that we audit uh, major federal programs and include that in the report. So um, the, the CAFR that you have uh, kind of encompasses both of those requirements. And obviously it's a 112-page you know, document. We're not going to go through all of that this evening, but I will touch on a few of the highlights and answer any questions you might have. Um, I want to point out uh, the four main sections of the CAFR. You have an introductory section, which is prepared by the district and just kind of introduces uh, the financial statements. There's a financial section, which includes our audit opinion, it also includes some management discussion and analysis, and then it includes a number of different uh, financial schedules and note disclosures. 
There is a statistical section that includes a lot of historical financial data for the district, also includes some demographical information. And then finally, there's something called the governmental audit section, and that's the section that kind of discusses the, the federal portion of the audit and includes our findings there. Um, I do want to point out also that, that preparing a CAFR like this is, is fairly unusual for districts in the state of Kansas. There's only a handful of them that go through this process. Most of the districts in the, in the state waive U.S. generally accepted accounting principles and prepare a much smaller uh, kind of a modified cash basis set of financial statements. Uh, but districts this size do, do typically prepare a, a full set, full CAFR like this. And there's a couple reasons why. Um, partly it's, it's to, to get that information to bondholders. Uh, obviously this district has a, a, you know, a higher amount of debt than a lot of the smaller districts in the state of Kansas. And it also uh, impacts your interest rates that you get on, on those, those bond issuances. So having a more robust set of financial statements is very beneficial to a district this size. Um, moving on to the results, uh, page one of the CAFR uh, includes our audit opinion. And we have issued what's known as an unmodified opinion. And basically what that means is we believe these financial statements are presented fairly in all material respects under the U.S. generally accepted accounting principles. It's the highest opinion that we can express, uh, and it reflects very positively here on the, on the financial management of the district. Uh, moving on to the kind of the, the second main requirement for the, the federal portion of the audit, uh, the main pages here to look at are, are pages 105 and 107. Uh, 105 is the schedule of expenditures of federal awards, and if you look at that schedule, you can see the district spent about $17.7 million in federal aid last year. Um, because of that, we're required to look at those, those federal programs and audit all major programs at least once every three years, and we're also required to audit at least 20% of the federal expenditures each year. And so for this past fiscal year, we chose the Title VI-B Special Education Grant Cluster, and that fulfilled those requirements. We did a series of, of audit procedures on those grants. And then if you look at page 107, you can see kind of a summary of, of our findings. And here we're required to report any material weaknesses, any significant deficiencies in internal controls. We're required to report any significant non-compliance or any other findings that we might have in regards to that program. And if you read through the, the schedule on page 107, you can just see that we, we found no findings, we found no material non-compliance, um, no internal control issues. So again, it's a very clean uh, result and in, in, in what you'd want to see as a district. Um, that's basically all I've got. Um, I'm more than happy to answer any questions if you have any, but all in all, it's a very clean opinion. Um, Russell Knapp and his staff do a fantastic job of, of getting everything that we need for the audit, and, and every year there are more standards issued and more regulations, and we have to do more and more work. So it's, it's an immense amount of effort that the Finance Department does for us to get prepared for the audit, and we really appreciate that. Thank you. Do any board members have any questions regarding the audit? We have no questions. Thank you very much for your work on this, and thank you for your comments about our management team, because we agree. They do a great job. Thank you. With that, we move on to uh, public comments, and I turn to our clerk. Uh, I'll spare you my script on public comments, because we have none this evening. Um, with that, we'll move on to uh, discussion items under three, and our first one is 3.01, and that's the legislative platform. We'll have uh, Drs. Atha and Dr. Little come forward. This is um, our, our final reading uh, on the legislative platform for 2019. 
Dr. Atha. Well, certainly what you have before you is a draft. I think we're moving closer to the final draft, and maybe we'll arrive there this evening. And if we do, then, then we'll ask you to uh, approve your legislative platform toward the end of the meeting. So with that said, um, we will uh, certainly open to discussion uh, on, on the draft that's before you. We'll open up discussion, questions, comments about that. Uh, Mrs. Goodburn. There's no particular order to these, correct? They're not in order of 1 to 1 to, I'm just curious, 1 to 14. Like, what I'm saying is importance. They're all important. So I'm just. I don't think there's a priority of importance. Okay. I think they're in the order that uh, we changed the order in the most recent draft um, at, at a request of a board member that uh, probably makes it flow a little better. Um, but Mary, would you like to address that? Um, I can speak to that. I did um, make a slight change to the order to reflect the, um, the four priorities that the Johnson County School Boards came together to identify in commonality. And so I moved those four, I would suggest that we move those four to the top of the list and then kept the rest in the same order. I mean, there probably is an opportunity to like them by, group them kind of by content, but um, otherwise I just brought the four that are common across all of the Johnson County districts to the top was my recommended change in order. But I don't think they're arranged in order of importance. I, I just noticed movement, important. so that's what yeah. I was just asking. Yeah. Mrs. Mack. Yes, I noticed. Uh, Mrs. Mack, is your microphone on? It is on. Nope. No. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. Mm -hmm. That's bright blue. Um, I noticed an addition of a clause um, that I don't remember in committee reaching consensus on. So I'm wondering if we bring this up now or when we have it down as an action item. We can certainly discuss it here in the action item portion. We'll we'll seek a motion to approve whatever that final draft looks like. So we can certainly tee up the conversation for questions now, and then we'll seek uh, amendments at the, at the point of action. Okay, well, I was a member of the um, Legislative Platform Committee, and um, there is a clause on number 14, um, the final clause, um, that is all of six words um, that I don't believe the committee came to consensus on. In fact, we decided not to have that part of our platform this year. Um, and now I see it added, and it's kind of an afterthought because the we talked about it our last board meeting, we talked about capers and pensions, and that's what number 14 is supposed to be about. With that being said, I want to make it extremely clear that I am a proponent of due process, and the Shawnee Mission School District has always been a proponent of due process, and we have had that in our negotiated agreement for as long as I possibly remember. But I checked with one of our other um, committee members and um, confirmed that we did not um, come to consensus in committee with due process because it's not an issue in Shawnee Mission. Um, and this is the Shawnee Mission legislative platform. So I'm just wondering um, why that clause was included. Well, um, thank you. Um, uh, Stuart Little with Little Government Relations and I'll 
respond to that question. I appreciate the question. And you, to, to begin with, you're correct. It is your platform, and it will be whatever uh, you all want it to be. In terms of process, um, I began meeting with Dr. Fulton and Dr. Atha and others to start putting together the platform in October, and we pulled together some items. Uh, you were presented that in, I think, the last meeting in probably October, and then I appeared on the um, the 12th of November and went over the platform from the previous year and then you created that subcommittee to meet the next day. So then we met on the 13th and had that conversation about what should go in the platform. There was a robust conversation about a lot of topics and toward the end there was a conversation about a variety of teachers' topics. And so um, I then took the results of that meeting, drafted them into what I believed was what you all had come to a consensus on in that meeting. And then the next time I came back, which was the 26th of November, I had 13 items on the list and I did not have anything about any teacher's issues. And that was raised by members of the board and said, oh, no, no, we talked about that. We want to see some language. So what I did was I pulled together the language that was discussed by people who raised these issues with me, stuck them into one platform segment that would cover those kinds of generally teachers-related issues, and it showed up on what I sent back to you, and I never heard any objections back from anyone when I sent them over. So, Well, I, I recollect that because I brought up the pension. Right. <laughs> I remember being the person that right. doing that. And so I thought 14 would be clean specifically on pensions only. So I, I will be making an amendment to strike the last six words. Um, there's also a KASB connection for that, and I'm going to look at Mrs. Zila to comment about that. Right, and they have left that pretty much KASB's stand on that is that it's it's a local issue and that it shouldn't be somehow dabbled with on the statewide um, as a statewide issue. And this actually, these six words include statewide in there. So I think we also embrace local control as much as we can get it as well. So I don't think we want to be in conflict with what KASB is is their stance and their legislative platform is about. Um, and we, in practice and in negotiated agreement, have due process within our district. So since this is our district platform, I, I don't see the need for that in there. So if we're still discussing, can we just keep going? Do we have to be called on or? Uh, please, yes. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so, uh, we did have the discussion in committee about due process, and my recollection was, and I'm going to look at the other committee members here, that we decided not to put due process on this year specifically because we had greater priorities for the Shawnee Mission School District specifically. And, and I remember that conversation very, very well, and, and I'm looking at, at Dr. Sinclair and Mrs. Owsley about that conversation that coming out of committee, due process was not a part of our platform. and then. We had our meeting at the end of November, and we asked, I remember, about pensions. And Mary, I think you added something as well that evening. I can't remember specifically what the, the, the subject matter was. And then, um, and then this is the clause that came forward. Um, and so, again, I, I, I want to make it extremely clear, I am not against due process for teachers. The Shawnee Mission School District is definitely not against due process for teachers. However... Um, I think it's, it's um, I, I'm going to take a risk here, and this is my opinion, so I'm going to make that very clear, but I am going to take a risk. This is a political issue, 
And um, it is uh, something that as we walk into the legislative halls this next spring, um, we're going to be fighting for funding again. If you read the article in the Kansas City Star, we're going to be fighting again and again and again, even just to get the inflationary measures added on to this. We went to, um, and, and I want to compliment Mr. Stratton for bringing all six districts together after the KASB meeting. It was an incredible, well-run, great discussions. It was a great meeting. And we had, we, we came to consensus, we agreed on the, the top four priorities, which we're going to vote on here in just a minute. So it's interesting to me that that, that came out of a committee process. And so my point now is on process. We had a committee that the process as well came through. And then due process was not a part of the committee discussion, and now it's part of our draft. So three points. One, it is against KASB. Um, we know that some local districts um, want to not have statewide due process because they use it as a bargaining tool with their teachers. Um, whether you agree with that or not, it is a local, in my opinion, it's a local control issue. And it, um, you, you never lose your right, um, you never lose your 14th Amendment right to, to sue the school district if you lose your job. Um, it's just that due process in a negotiated agreement makes it so that you have an administrative remedy within um, the agreement. You never lose your right, your due process rights. You keep your constitutional rights. Um, and so local school board, that's why KASB has never passed a statewide restoration of due process in the last several years. Second of all, politically, I think it's difficult for us because um, as we go um, to fight for money, whether um, it's a good thing or a bad thing, and I'm not going to comment whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, there is still a conservative majority in Topeka. And this is not a part of the Republican platform. It is a part of the Democrat Party platform, specifically. Um, and uh, as we go forward, there could be some legislatures that would um, not agree with that as part of our legislative platform. I'm making, a, and this is my personal opinion again, but I think that it could harm our district as we go forward fighting for um, the other items that are, that are listed. Um, Shawnee Mission already has it, um, so it is superfluous as far as our legislative platform goes. And there was one other reason, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. So um, those are the reasons why I will be um, submitting or moving for a amendment to strike those six words. Process, KASB, and it's a political football, which I don't think we need at this time for Shawnee Mission. Dr. Sinclair. Um, okay, so the I'm gonna share, I'm not gonna speak directly to what you're talking, what you were, um, the, your specific amendment, but I do want to speak to my thoughts around the workshop that we had, the legislative workshop. My thinking in bringing in number 14 was to have um, an explicit position that really would support the recruitment and retention of not only our teachers, our educators, and our support staff. And so the language I was hoping to see or bring to that, which would also, I guess, be an edit, was in alignment with um, some of the language that KASB has in their 
um, priorities for this year. So I had language that would read something, support policies and actions to recruit and retain educators and support staff um, in keeping with, and this might, you can simplify this, but in keeping with constitutional obligations and State Board of Education's vision to improve student success. So the idea is let's support policies and actions to recruit and retain teachers and, you know, Quality teachers leads to student success. So I was trying to make that tie in there and that point. And then following that, we could provide some examples of what some of those might be relevant to our session this year. And I, you know, we talked about a number of different components from um, uh, returning to CAPERS Tier 2 to phasing in some restoration of CAPERS funding to... I mean, one of the other things I was thinking about is addressing higher education affordability. There are a number of issues um, that uh, that could be addressed there, or we don't get specific. I don't know what becomes effective from a lobbyist perspective. Sometimes too much specificity can be challenging. So anyways, those are just some of my thoughts to add to the clarity of this conversation. <laughs> All right. Board members. Uh, one comment. Guy. My understanding is that number four ties in with the legislative platform of all six dis districts, which specifically was about the bond cap, which my understanding is doesn't affect Shawnee Mission School District. That was something that we just wanted to do in solidarity with those other school districts. So I'm saying that we already have something in this platform that isn't just looking out for ourselves, yeah, that's saying this is what's best. We think it's what's best for all the school districts yeah. in Kansas. So um, I just want to point out that that's already there in number four. So this doesn't have to be a Shawnee mission specific, just our own needs legislative platform. It can also be in solidarity with what we think is best for schools throughout Kansas. Other board members? Uh, Mrs. Housley, then Mrs. Mack. Um, so 14, it was my understanding when we were discussing, I, I don't recall when we were discussing it, um, maybe it was at the last board meeting or after our committee meeting, was that we were looking to support our educators here in Shawnee Mission, but that there was also discussion about um, we have a teacher shortage in the state and we want to make sure that we're able to recruit educators both for our district and then to support educators just in general. I I don't have a problem with keeping the statewide due process clause in there simply because I mean we do have due process here and we support it and I think it's always great when there's statutory provisions that protect employees. Um, but the CAPERS tier two structure was what I recall to be the more detailed conversation um, for clarification in that we support making sure that new employees have the same benefits as um, some of our more senior employees and that that would specifically help us recruit folks for Shawnee Mission. So I, mean, I, I like the way it reads now. I, I, I'm glad we've got the CAPERS Tier 2 structure language in there so it's clear what, we're, what we want for our educators and I, I obviously I think fully funding CAPERS is really important. Um, so I just thought I would add that. Okay. Mrs. Mack. I actually have two um, points of information. One is um, on number four, as, Ms. as Reverend Guy was talking about, couldn't that apply to the Shawnee Mission School District 
at some point in time. And then my, my second point of information question is, who, um, where, did this, where did this clause come from? Who suggested this be added to our legislative platform? Who specifically? I'll turn to Dr. Little because he said just a minute ago that he used it as a composite. If I um, right. you're, um, you're talking about item number 14. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I, remember, I remember specifically saying about the, the pensions and everything like that. And I remember reading about pensions, but I ne and I remember discussing pensions at our last board meeting, but I don't remember any language about due process, so I'm just wondering who... Um, who brought forward this language? At the workshop, at the table, there were conversations about due process. There were process. conversations, yes. but we didn't reach consensus on it. Well, and that's why I left it off. I mean, right. I will, I will tell you the reason, and I apologize if this was not the intention, but I left this off of the agenda when I came back after that meeting because there did not appear to be consensus. Correct. So when you all said yes, we want to see language after that meeting where the issue was raised, why isn't there anything about teachers, I went back and pulled together the items that were talked about, and I appreciate this conversation because it reminded me about leaving out some teacher retention, recruitment and retention should have been in there. There were four things, three of them were in there. So I pulled those all together and said, this is what was talked about as that issue and added that in. Are you so, referring to the conversation at the board meeting? No, the, when we, when were we- At the workshop, okay, yeah. That okay. is correct, at the okay. workshop, we we had conversation about a lot of teacher-related yeah, topics, and I did not have a sense that there was a consensus and nobody said, yes, we want this honor. So that's why it was not added to what you then saw at the, or what we then talked about at the next board meeting, but I added the, a, a section that reflected all of those topics with the, the exception of forgetting teacher recruitment and retention, which should have been a fourth item into that list. And so this was put in there because I was then attempting to go back and gather up everything you all had talked about and said, is this what you intended? That's why you have it in front of you today. And my, I guess my, my question is, is that after that November board meeting, I don't recall anybody bringing up due process. And I remember, I remember specifically about pensions because I brought that up because I remember that discussion and we were right. all solid on that. And Rick was exp explaining to us tier two, tier three. Um, and I remember that, but I don't remember discussion of putting due process in the platform at the board meeting. I do not recall there was a discussion okay. of due process at that right. board meeting. Thank you. And then my first point of information was couldn't four apply to Shawnee Mission School District at some point in time? And that's it. I don't know the answer to that, okay. so I'm asking. Dr. Southwick? I'll try, to, I'll try to speak to that. We find ourselves with the luxury of our assessed valuation of being able to be under the 14% cap, um, which most of the school districts in the state of Kansas aren't. Um, as we project moving forward, and I know in strategic planning we'll talk about uh, what our next facilities plan and bond issue might be, we believe very comfortably we could move to a substantial amount of money and still stay under the 14% cap. There could be a scenario at the, in the district at some point in time where you would want to exceed that cap. And it's allowed by um, the state of Kansas. I don't think there's any that have ever been turned down under that 14% if you have good reason. But should the district find themselves above that cap, then we would be subject to the ceiling, the debt ceiling that the state has, has placed um, to control their costs to districts. Um, remind you that you don't um, have any equalization. 
Um, all the dollars that we have for our bond issues um, come straight from our patrons. But uh, that's long-winded because that's kind of the way I am. But um, to explain it, we don't fall under that right now. We could in the future. So the board members, questions, comments. As a reminder, we'll bring this up under the action a little later in the meeting. And if we could have you gentlemen available for that too, I might add my own personal observation here that uh, um, this process has been a little clunky and that's partly because of all of our involvement, which is a really good thing. Um, so there's been a lot of folks that have had a lot of input on it and Dr. Little and Dr. Aitha have had to try to synthesize that down as best we could. One quick clarification. So we've been provided this draft multiple times or a couple times throughout what points did we receive the drafts as they were developed? And I think the last one, one of them came from Dr. Atha. I believe the last one that I sent was uh, today. Okay, prior to that. <laughs> sent one Sunday um, and then one last week. November 30. Yeah, I November 30 mm -hmm. was probably the f one of the first ones. Okay, and this language was in the November 30 document. But was it, yeah, I, 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 excuse me. Was it highlighted or edited or anything? I mean, because usually, as we'll see on the program of studies, and we get a lot of stuff to read, and I know this is extremely important, and if I missed it on November 30, I apologize. That's my fault. But if it wasn't highlighted or italicized, that's usually how we see changes or additions. And so, I, as you'll see on the program of studies coming up. Any other questions? Thank you both gentlemen, and we'll have you back in a little bit here as we take action later on the agenda. Uh, with that, uh, 3.02, which is the uh, a joint district platform that's been a discussion that's been going on, and um, I'll give a little update on that once I lay my hands on it. Here it is. Um, as was referenced earlier, uh, it was very convenient that we had the KASB State Association of School Boards in town at the beginning of this month, and there had been conversation for, for multiple years of attempts to bring together those boards, and it just worked because we all happened to be in town. So there was a meeting that took place in very early December um, where the six school boards uh, gathered. I would say there's over 40 people, several board members from each of the, of the districts, I believe, about all the superintendents and government affairs folks. And we, we had a pretty good conversation on the heels of the KASB state convention to talk about state uh, legislative platform issues that we might all want to advocate on together. Um, through that process was a, was a good conversation, um, lasted an hour and a half or so. And from that, um, myself representing Shawnee Mission and then a couple other board presidents had met to talk about next steps and so this document was was drafted. Um, I, I smile because this is another one of those documents that's created by committee. Um, so it, it was a rather uh, multi-step process but in the end as we as we kept tweaking it we went back to the other districts and said what are your thoughts on this and and they were great. So each of the other districts also offered up their their thoughts on, on what this document should look like. The conversation really focused around keeping it succinct, uh, limiting it to the four that are before us. And um, so this document's been provided, I think uh, the last most recent version was this weekend to the board members and then uh, posted either yesterday or today. Um, so this is a document that uh, I'll just read real quickly and, and that is that uh, the six 
public school districts of, Shun of Johnson County, Kansas, that being Blue Valley, DeSoto, Gardner, Edgerton, Olathe, Shawnee Mission, and Spring Hill, serving a combined 100,000 public school students, have come together to advocate on the fall legislative pr priorities to be addressed in the 2019 legislative session. I won't read the whole thing. I'll just read each of the bullet points. Sanctity of the Kansas Constitution. The second one is around behavioral and mental health services. The third one talks about base state aid and the inflation factor that was referenced as the school finance formula went through the court process. And then the last is the elimination of the bond cap, which we talked about earlier, that although it doesn't directly uh, infect, affect us at this moment, it very well could. And it certainly is an issue for some of the other districts um, in our county, and so we, we added that one as well. I'll pause there and turn to my fellow board members. Any comments, questions? This is something that um, the only action we'll take is if we agree to sign on to the letter so that eventually the districts would sign on to this letter. And it would be something that I kind of kiddingly say um, our legislative affairs folks like Dr. Little can have in the other chest pocket to pull out as they're talking to legislators to say not only is this issue important with Shawnee Mission, but equally to the other six or other five districts in, in the Johnson County area. Board members with questions will seek action later in the meeting. The, the, Dr. Sinclair. The content was, um, I was very comfortable with content and thank you for initiating the process or making it happen um, with the, all of the Johnson County schools school districts. Um, my only edits were really around kind of wordsmithing. So it was more about, do we need to make them shorter? You know, if there's a need to um, shorten these, um, I'm happy to offer those edits, but content-wise, I was really comfortable. Thank you. And when we take action on it, we might have uh, our two representatives speak to that. Okay. Because Dr. Dole will be the one that will be boots on the ground on that one. Other board members? All right, great, thank you. Uh, with that, we'll move on to uh, item 3.03, which is the advisory board and committee's uh, definitions. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to be having a conversation about the, the strategic plan and the various steps that will take place there. I wanted the board to spend just another minute talking about really definitions and terminology, just so as we begin to embark on this process, as we communicate the various groups that we're going to be engaging, we're, we're, we're all meaning and saying the same thing when we refer to them. Um, I went back and went through the uh, policy manual for the Shawnee Mission School District, and uh, I want to raise up what they currently say, just so we can give it some, some clarity, because there's already a little bit of conflicting language. We want to make sure we do it succinctly. Um, in our board manual, I'm sorry, the district's manual, there is uh, a variety of policies. One's letter is BBC, and that's regarding board committees, and it, and it states, the board shall operate at all times as a committee of the whole, which we're doing tonight. There shall be no standing or temporary board committees except as those provided for in this policy. Board members may serve on task forces recommended by the superintendent to accomplish specific objectives and advise the board. Task forces of the board may be assigned on a temporary basis and shall constitute no more than three board members. Board task forces are subject to open meetings law. The superintendent shall monitor each committee's progress and relay information to the board. As requested, each committee shall report to the superintendent and or the board. Um, under a different item within our policies is an item labeled CMA, and it speaks to the various levels of involvement. 
and I'll read that quickly, and that is the superintendent is responsible for recommending rules and regulations necessary to carry out the board policy and operate the district schools. These rules and regulations shall constitute the administrative handbook handbooks governing the schools and shall be approved by the board. No administrative rules shall conflict with board policy. The superintendent shall review all proposed rules before they're submitted to the board. And then a subsection of stakeholder involvement. The superintendent may include representatives of those employees who may be affected during the, at the planning stage. Another one titled community involvement. The superintendent may involve district patrons on committees or study groups whenever necessary or appropriate. Student involvement. The superintendent may consider student opinions concerning rules that, which may affect them. Reviewing rules, the administrative rules adopted by the board shall be the subject of regular review by the administrative staff. Proposed changes will be subject, I'm sorry, submitted to the board. Um, one other area that touches on it just briefly, this is a two-sentence one, and that is long-range needs determination. This is board uh, policy FB, sorry, FDB. The board administration may periodically conduct district-wide assessments to evaluate facility use, to project future building needs, or to recommend, recommend that facilities be closed. A task force may be appointed to assist with the study. And then lastly, in our board manual, we have just a real quick reference to it in our board manual that we approved a little over a year ago now. It says under uh, item 17, board task forces, the board president, in cooperation with the superintendent, may establish board task forces comprised of up to three board members to study and report on specific issues. Task forces are time limited and sunset upon completion of their assigned tasks. Task forces may, be include, may include district staff. There you go. So I've now read all of the governing language that talks about the construction of our committees and our task forces. So I, I presented in real short version here some definitions that we talked about last time. And uh, Dr. Fulton has an update to his too. Can I turn to you to talk a little bit about what you're looking at with the uh, superintendent advisory boards and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. In some of the original language we talked about superintendent advisory boards and my recommendation is, is to change the word board to the word groups because they, the groups that I meet with actually don't function as a board. They do function as, uh, as advisories that help me to keep a handle on, you know, a check on the pulse of the district. And so use of the term advisory group makes more sense than using the term advisory board. It's a minor but important clarification. Okay. And then we also have uh, task forces, which we've used. We're currently using, and primarily those have consisted of uh, board members, at least the ones that we're currently operating with, if memory serves. And I'll look to my other board members. We've also uh, enlisted patron involvement in task forces as it relates to a variety of decision-making processes across our district. Um, I turn to our historians for any other reference points as okay. to, um, <laughs> for instance, what did we just call the boundaries groups that were assembled when we when we looked at those? The facilities committee. Was it facilities? They okay. looked at all different facets, I think, of building use and of demographics and enrollment mm -hmm. numbers in buildings. We okay. had the sixth grade commission. Mm -hmm. Sixth grade commission. So a commission. Right. Character task force. And, and that kind of goes to my point, I think, is that we've used a variety of terms over the years. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that uh, we can provide some clarity so that as we then embark upon this next step, we're using the same language throughout. Um, we have the terms uh, groups, as Dr. Fulton just mentioned. Um, we also have task forces um, and then board committees. I have three definitions that have been provided. This is just draft. Uh, it's on your agenda there. 
uh, a school board or district committee as it can potentially be a standing committee that is defined, led, and appointed by the Board of Education. Superintendent will designate a staff person or persons members to serve as the administrative liaison. Some may have patron members and some may have board members only. And that lists a couple of examples there. Mr. Strapp. Yes, go ahead, Mrs. Just, uh, there was one omission in, in the task forces that we had in the past, and that was our policy task force mm -hmm. that went through and after our audit done by KASB, went through each of those policies to make sure that they were true to practice in Shawnee Mission and what we wanted them to say. And that was, you know, at, at the end of their task force, when we got through the entire policy book, their job was done. And I don't know if there's some task force or committee or something that should be ongoing because policy is what the school board is supposed to be involved with and, and making sure that policy is current and up to date and in, we are in practice as well as the procedures that we do are in line with our policies. Okay. We, we just mentioned earlier that perhaps there'd be a roll-up of some of the other tasks we're doing. I'll turn to Dr. Fulton. You've had experience in other districts. We've talked about this a little bit. Your thoughts about policy as an example. And a reminder, this is a discussion. We're not taking action at this point, but this is to give clarity as we go into the next decisions. Sure. Well, it certainly is helpful to have a, a committee of a couple of board members and appropriate administrators to regularly review policy and maybe mm -hmm. a group that meets uh, once a month or as planned to not only review current policies to keep them updated, because we know when the legislature meets, sometimes you have to update policies, but also to proactively work through policies that we may want to do some research on and eventually change. Right. And so having that kind of structure in place is, is helpful for both uh, to meet, be responsive to needs that you have to meet because of legislative or uh, you know federal changes, but also to do plan changes based on best practice. Yes, Mrs. Goodburn. I was a part of that policy committee, and so it, it did, uh, and I can speak to that. I think it's better maybe to have a standing policy committee all the time um, as opposed to having to do it all in one fell swoop because we had the KSB policy audit, but then it took us an entire year to go through every single, you know, part of that policy document, which is really a lot of, I mean, it was this thick. And with all their changes, recommended changes that they made versus ones that we wanted to keep and different things. So it would be lots better, I think, to have a standing committee that can keep that work ongoing instead of having to do it all in one fell swoop. Other board members? Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Well, and we'd had this conversation about having it be possible for board members to rotate in and out of the committee if there was a piece of policy that a board member was interested in going over or bringing to the table for discussion and that way those things could be vetted before they came to the board as a whole through that committee um i think it sounds like a i, I think it sounds like a really good way to have a procedure and process in place for looking at policy updates always as opposed to you know once every few years and trying to do it all at once because that's a bit of an overwhelming task yes dr sinclair can I ask for a clarification of our discussion? Are we talking about the definition of these three working groups, or are we delving into what committees we're going to establish? Because it feels like this conversation is getting a little bit into mm -hmm. the, the latter, which mm -hmm. I'm happy to have. Um, Good segue. But, yeah. So what I wanted to do was decide on some terminology at this point. Okay. And we're using the word group. We're using the word task force. I'm writing as we go. We're using the word committee. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, what else do we have? Uh, boards. Um, so I want to turn to you, the board, and say which of these terms do you feel strongly about representing or mean certain things? Okay, I'll go first. So to, to me, a task force typically has a beginning and an end. Mm -hmm. Meaning a task force typically is something that's established, it's created, they have a specifically defined task, and then when the task is over, they adjourn. Mm -hmm. That's the, the kind of definitions I wanted to go for. So now, keep going with that. What is a committee, or what is a group, or what is a, a, a board to you? And I'm missing one other term too. Commission. Okay. Commission, thank you, there it is, commission. <laughs> Um, I, I see a commission as interchangeable. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead, Dr. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um I see the term commission as interchangeable with task force. That it, I mean, if we're thinking about, to me, I see there's, from a school board perspective anyways, we have standing committees and we have kind of ad hoc short term. So, so to me, we have a board committee, maybe that's the term to convey the permanent standing work and then a school board task force works for me. But, you know, whatever term we're going to pick, to me it's about duration, standing or ad hoc. Okay. Or, you know, so task force works as well. Okay. Yes, Mrs. Goodman. I think it's a good idea to have three different terms for three different groups. I mean, so you have groups, committees, and task forces. That way we can, um, and patrons may be able to understand them better too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, Mrs. Zila. And I will just say my point of, Pulling, uh, pointing out that there was a policy task force. There was, you know, they were getting through the policy book. That was their, that was their charge to do. But I think it should be a committee. I think it should be an ongoing process for this board, however many and whatever the rotation in, in and out of that committee might be. Just to give you a point of like, how did we get there? That's that was my point in making that statement. Yes, I just have a, a spell check. <laughs> Um, the past tense. Not permitted. The, the past tense of lead is led. L E D. I know we've read so many things this week that our eyes are pleasing over. But I checked on Grammarly. Um, so all of the L E A Ds. So led. Thank you. We'll allow it. <laughs> Others. I, I turn back to Dr. Fulton. Is, is this helpful as we begin to roll out the next section on the agenda, the the, the, the strategic plan? It is. Okay, Thank so you, you, for can, doing you that. can use some of that. Here, here's my suggestion, is that uh, we continue to tighten up this language. I, I heard some different ideas on what each of these words represent. We'll, we'll put together some language, working with Dr. Fulton and the team that's now doing the strategic plan rollout, so that that's, that matches up, so that we're using the same language in both this process of strategic planning and then eventually in the governance of this district. Mm -hmm. Sound good? Okay. Thank you. With that, we'll move on to uh, item 3.04, which is the strategic plan. Dr. Fulton. Okay, well, thank you. We have uh, in front of you, in, in public view, um, the presentation I'm going to provide tonight, along with a detailed planning document. And I think that this would be a good definition of a task force. How's that? <laughs> okay. yes. So we'll put our, put our nomenclature to work. Well, we've been working hard at uh, trying to design a process that will be helpful to our community as we move forward with a strategic plan. You know, we live in a very quickly changing world, don't we? And that change, uh, that change in world impacts how we do school now and in the future. 
We've talked, you've heard me say before, you know, we think about today's first graders, the class of 2030. And it causes pause, doesn't it? There's learning today that's important for them. But a very important question is, but what do they need over the next 12 years to make sure that they're prepared for, this, for their future? And this strategic planning process is designed to engage the community in helping to answer that question. Done well, the result of this process will be clear direction with a North Star that guides our work. And you can see the North Star, by the way, on the diagram. We'll talk about that North Star a little later. Most planning processes work in the yellow area. They talk about normal operations, you maintain current inertia, you kind of do things like you've always done. And now there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Strategic planning, though, is different. Strategic planning will define those outcomes that matter the most to every child. The strategic plan will define those outcomes and provide a roadmap to set our course, clearly define how we will measure progress along the way, and identify processes we will use to achieve important outcomes. This graphic speaks to the importance of a roadmap with mile markers. This year, we've seen in program evaluation data, and you'll see more of that tonight, that while our current operation helps many children learn, it does not meet the needs of all children. An aspirational plan says, we believe all children can learn important understandings and habits of mind that prepare them for their life's success. Such a plan challenges us to intentionally change our adult behaviors in ways that support children to achieve their goals, grow in the academic and behavioral outcomes foundational to their future success, and graduate from high school ready for a lifetime of learning in an ever-changing world. Our planning process as proposed will rely on data and research to benchmark where we are and challenge us to address critically important issues such as the achievement gap, disparities in discipline data, and the power of diversity. This process can and must challenge us to design learning in ways that connect to and support the academic and social emotional success of every child. We are looking to create a shining mission that builds on the past to create an even better future for all of our children. As we go through this process, there are defined processes that will follow and outcomes we must meet as required by the Kansas Education Systems Accreditation, also known as KISA, process. Now, in our work, the Board of Education approves the process. That's what tonight is about. And eventually, any final recommendations that result from this process. So you're, you're, you're very involved at the beginning and involved at the end. In between, the superintendent has the responsibility to oversee the process and bring final recommendations to the Board of Education. Now, in this process, we'll have a steering committee. The steering committee will oversee the work. They'll develop the mission, beliefs, objectives, and strategies that support continuous improvement 
in our district. There will also be action teams, and you can see that in the yellow. One for each uh, strategy developed by the steering committee. There'll be about 25 to 30 to people on those teams. And they'll work to identify the strategies and establish action plans as well as costs associated with those plans. And by the way, it's very important as we go through this process that the team work in a way that is sensitive to cost. It's about using existing resources wisely and future resources equally and importantly as wisely. In fall 2019, building leadership teams and site councils will develop school plans to align with the district's plan. So there's really two parts to this. The first part is this winter and spring. That work's done by the steering committee and the action teams. And then the second part involves building level work next year. Developing a shared vision for our future requires community voice. And that's one thing that we've heard a lot of, haven't we? The community wants to have voice in our strategic plan, and they should. We'll use a combination of committee structures, steering committee, action planning teams, site councils, and two-way communication, two communication platform to gather input from stakeholders. Stakeholders will be invited to contribute throughout the process in a variety of ways, including, but not limited to, online quantitative surveys, qualitative feedback loops through use of thought exchange, participation on district planning committees and action teams, building site councils, and other defined avenues for input and uh, engagement. At the end, we're going to end up with something that looks like this. It's a poster on the wall. It's a slide on the screen. And this slide identifies key elements of the plan. When complete, we'll have that poster on the wall on that, or that one slide that represents our shared vision for SMSD's future. The important learning outcomes to which we will hold ourselves accountable and parameters, guardrails, if you will, that guide our work. It's important to note, this is not the superintendent's plan, or for that matter, the plan of any one individual. Instead, it is a collective plan built by this community for all Shawnee Mission students, present and future. To accomplish this task, we've developed a proposed timeline. Now, you're seeing the big picture of the timeline. I'll walk through this briefly. You have details of this timeline um, in your board agenda. Basically, tonight, we're, we're presenting this to you and later in the agenda asking you to approve this process. In January, we'll begin uh, gathering data and we'll build a school district profile. We actually have a pretty thick book that'll talk about Shawnee Mission, our history, who we are, where we're at. Lots of the data, for example, that you've been getting through the program evaluations will be in that document, detailing everything from finances to student achievement to student responsibility indicators. It's going to be a helpful document for all of us. We will go through the process of training ourselves in how to do strategic thinking, and we'll start the process of selecting steering committee members. In February, we'll kick off an awareness campaign 
The goal is to have a lot of people in the room explaining the process, inviting them into the process, and telling them how they can be engaged in that. So, for example, we'd invite site councils and the steering committee, which would be identified by them. And then we'll start the steering committee team planning. By March, the steering committee has their part of the work done. And now we hand it off to the action teams who will begin to work on specific aspects of the plan related to the objectives and the strategies. That work will continue through May, at which point we will be ready by into May or early June to have the action teams present to the steering committee. And once that's done, then the steering committee will bring that work as a recommendation to me, as superintendent, and I in turn will bring it to you to the board for approval by the end of June. Now remember, this is, this is the foundation for our work going forward. The real work, the heavy lifting work, really occurs at the building level, where you take that plan that we've developed, our mission statement, our beliefs, our, some core objectives, and next year begin to work with site councils and the buildings on designing up what their school needs to look like to make sure that we have, that we're meeting the objectives that we've laid out for ourselves. Let's talk about the steering committee a little bit. The steering committee will be composed of 30 members. It's very important that this steering committee be representative of our community as a whole. All of the attendance areas, high school attendance areas. With 30, you can't get one from every school, obviously. Uh, but we can get a good representative sampling. We can look at the broad uh, uh, diversity of our district and make sure that the group represents that diversity. And we will. The membership itself is composed of the superintendent, two board members of your choosing. Uh, and actually, I'll work with you on that. Staff, parents, students, community members, building administrators, and then a couple of at-large folks. What we will do is we'll put together a big matrix and say, here are the many, many attributes that we have of people in our district. And we want to make sure that these 30 people represent the depth and breadth of that diversity. So we'll seek individuals who are re representative of the categories identified in the slide and importantly have multiple attributes which will create a committee representative of our district as mentioned earlier. Um, and as an example, you may have a parent from a specific high school feeder system that is a Hispanic female with students at the elementary, middle school, and high school levels and then have, probably has some other identifiable attributes of, as well that connects maybe her into the community and so on. So we will have to be very intentional about seeking out membership to this group. And this group will need to commit to uh, training as well as to um, the time commitment to get their work done. And we'll certainly work with each of those individuals, including their employers, if we need to, to help them successfully be a member of, of the steering committee. Now, once the steering committee is done, we get into action team membership. That will ask for volunteers. Again, we'll have a matrix to make sure that there's broad representation uh, from the community. We don't know how many action teams yet we're going to have. That will be determined by the steering committee work. There could be three. There could be six. We'll have to wait and see how many we have. So when we talk about uh, membership, we'll probably have 25 to 30 representatives on each of those committees as well. How are we going to do this work? Well, we need some support. You know, this is a very... Uh, it's a very doable 
but also a very progress, uh, aggressive, if you will, timeline. So we need some help. We need some help to engage our community, and that help is going to come in the form of thought exchange. Thought exchange is a forum, if you will, where it allows you to push out questions to the community, get their feedback, and then they will theme out that data for us. If, for example, you have all 46 schools engage in a survey, which we would want them to do, we will get data back from all 46 schools and we'll be able to see the aggregate theme for the district, but we'll also be able to share back to the school what their themes were. That'll be helpful to the schools. This is a tool that can be used in strategic planning, but it can also and can and will be used for other processes that we have in the district, such as professional development. So that's, that's one tool that we're going to use between now and the end of the year, uh, this academic year. The Cambrian Group is going to work with us to provide consultation, facilitation support, and training to help us have a successful strategic planning process. What we like about this group is they've worked with a number of large districts around the country. Like currently, for example, they've been working with Richardson, Texas, it's actually bigger than us, to successfully engage their community in um, these kind of processes that allow us to really get a focus for ourselves long term. Now we're sensitive to cost. And we recognize that, uh, well, some of this can be paid for with federal funds. It would be helpful to have uh, additional support. And so we've asked uh, the foundation to help us in this cause. And I'm going to ask Kim Hinkle to come up and share from a foundation perspective what they believe they can do. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I just first like to say that the foundation is very supportive of this plan. We know the power of our community, and we know that when you engage in a very strategic and very deliberate process with voices from everywhere in the community, that really great things will come for our kids. And we also know that it will inform our foundation uh, funding going forward to the district when we really are able to pinpoint um, our most important priorities and outcomes for our students. And so we support this process. And um, the district came to us and asked if we could partner um, to develop a funding plan um, to pay for a portion of this process. And we do believe that our community would be enthusiastic in supporting this. And so um, the foundation, as the district's community engagement and fundraising partner, um, will work with our district colleagues to develop a fundraising plan um, whereby we can also engage additional community members um, and, and businesses and corporations who will also be enthusiastic about the plan. So we feel confident that we can work together um, and put a plan in place to underwrite a portion of this process. And I'd entertain any questions you have. I, I might add, uh, you've met twice on this, and you've spent a lot of time thinking about what this process should look like. And so I'd be happy to respond to any questions. Also, David Smith and Dr. Hubbard have been involved in helping to put this together, along with many other team members. In fact, all the team members here tonight. And so uh, we'll be happy to respond to any questions. Thank you. Board member questions. Dowsley. 
this really isn't necessarily so much a question as it is just for clarification. Um, the Cambrian group as a consulting group is not really an education consulting group. They're just a, a facilitation group. So they are bringing us the infrastructure within which we can do the strategic planning process. And it's not that they're bringing their philosophies to the table or imprinting their opinions on things. They're simply infrastructure that we don't have enough of in place to where we could do this in-house. That's an important clarification. I, I will add this. The one advantage, one big advantage they have is, is that they work exclusively with school districts. So that helps. And the fact that they've worked with large school districts uh, in supporting them with developing strategic plans is a real plus. And we've vetted this very carefully, and we feel confident about their ability to come in and help us do this well. But you're right. The content of the plan is ours, not theirs. Thank you. Um, I add to that um, comment there, observation, in the workshop that we had about the strategic planning process, um, to which some students were, it was fun to have some students there in the, in the galley with us. Um, but that one of the outcomes that I think is unique in Shawnee Mission, at least in our history, is that we, we do, actually, we do not have a history of board committees. We don't have a history of standing board committees um, to garner that community input. And so we really do need to get this right. And um, I think we're all pretty hesitant about how we spend our funds. And part of the reason for bringing in a group like the Cambrian Group is to make sure that we do create a good foundation for ongoing two-way communica two communication with the members, our patrons and our parents of Shawnee Mission. So I think that's critical. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point. And of course, we're front-loading the use of Cambrian in this process. Next year, as we begin to get into um, site councils, begin to be engaged in the continuous improvement process, that's work that we'll begin to um, take on ourselves. And once we get some uh, personal mastery, if you will, mm -hmm. of how to engage with each other in these continuous improvement processes, then momentum begins to build. And it gets easier over time uh, to sustain the work. But you, but you need some help getting it started. <clears throat> Yes, Mrs. Zila. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm just looking at some of these. I think the steering committee makeup is brilliant in that it, it spreads it so far and wide and includes all groups, students up to committee members at large and stuff. And I think that's hugely important that we get that voice, that opinion, that buy-in, that ownership throughout our entire community. And I also think the first... Um, graphic that you showed, the yellow box with the green triangle on top, that is, that's the vision of going forward. That is that gap, that green gap. The yellow is the status quo. That's where we are. That's where we'll stay unless we shoot for the North Star or whatever you want to call that star on there. And I think that is so vitally important to the future of this district. So I'm excited about this process, even though we're kind of taking a back seat and we'll watch how the, the community evolves under the facilitation of the Cambrian Group. And um, it's going to be an exciting process to see and so all important. This is the most important, I think, thing we can do right now. As you stated, I think we've met a total of six hours maybe talking about this. Um, 
So that we asked a lot of questions, and I just want the community to know that we have spent six hours peppering you and others with questions. Um, I admitted to being pretty skeptical when we first started. I think you also admitted to some skepticism just because I've been through planning processes before where you end up pretty much where you started and you just wasted a whole year of everybody's time. So uh, like Mrs. Zila said, that, that image of going for the North Star, of doing something different than what we've done before because our students are going to be facing a future that's very different from what we know now. That interests me and that excites me and I think thinking outside the box and getting lots of community input is is the way we're going to get there. So now I have come around, um, but we asked questions about uh, how we're going to ensure that there's diversity on the strategic, on the steering committee. And we talked about not only all the different demographic groups that we're going to try to recruit from, we also talked about perhaps providing childcare if some of these people are single parents and they can't give the time to these that we want to help them. Uh, you even mentioned if there's employers that won't give them the time off, perhaps you'll reach out to the employer and say, this is really important, this is a, a special one-time thing, can you work with us on this? Um, I think that's crucial too, because we don't want all the voices to be the ones we hear from all the time. We really want to hear from those voices that we often don't hear from. And um, I'm excited that this has the potential to do that, and I think it is an investment in our children's future. It's worthwhile. The great framing, you know, having worked with these processes for a couple of decades, I was a little skeptical. I always would rather save money and go and, you know, do it in-house. But I do believe where we're at right now in our history, using the expertise of a group like that, like this, to get us started is smart. It'll save us time. It gives us a good process to work with. And it's the sort of thing where you come in, you get your work done, that group exits, we take over the work, and it's not something where you have to have a group come in and sustain it, if you don't want to. If you need external support, you can get it. Thought exchange is a little bit different in that lots of large districts have used this uh, tool successfully. That may be a tool we want to use in the future. But for right now, we're just focused on getting uh, from this point to bring a, uh, a strategic plan to you at the end of June. And that's where our focus is at the moment. Mrs. Elsley. I also uh, just want to thank SMEF for coming tonight and supporting us and, and helping financially with the cost so that we can be as prudent as possible with how we cover this. And so it's, it's very much appreciated. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair. And I'd just like to refer us back to the pyramid that indicates the number of opportunities that we will have for input from folks in the community. It will, we have a few slots there we're going to need to fill. Over 600. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Like. <laughs> and of course, the, uh, when we do the big kickoff, we'll want building site councils to attend that. So that hopefully will be a large meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, with, with lots of folks who are invested in this work, the, uh, this, this winter and spring will be primarily the uh, steering committee and the strategic action teams. But even next year, as we get into the site councils doing their work, we'll be creating these opportunities for site councils to come together kind of in mass uh, at a pretty big venue, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's exciting. And that process works extremely well. Other questions? 
Like we said, we'll be addressing this in a little bit under action items. But thank you very much for the presentation. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, our next item is 3.05, which is the presentation of graduation rates. I'll read the whole thing so it gives time for Dr. Fulton to get up here. <laughs> Measures of academic performance, also known as MAP, and career and technical education report. Dr. Fulton. Dan, it's all yours. So, um, yeah, we've got three, three reports combined into one agenda item, but we, I, I appreciate having the opportunity to share um, some student outcomes data in small uh, portions over the over the past few months. So, uh, the two pieces that I'm, or the two reports I'm going to talk about are graduation rate, uh, dropout rate is also blended within that report. Uh, the second report will be uh, some NWA map data, and then Dr. Fleury will uh, take care of the third report on career and technical education. And, so, and given the time, they're going to go through them as quickly as you can, but please do realize right. you got about three up to five minute reports. How's that? Right. Okay. So just, um, just a, a quick snapshot, when we talk about dropout rate versus graduation rate, uh, just keep in mind we're talking about two different things. Dropout rate is a snapshot of whatever um, uh, the number of student dropouts or the percentage for that particular year, in this case the 17-18 school year. Graduation rate is an accumulation of um, students over the course of time. What you're looking for is, is if, a, if a student starts with us as a freshman, are they able to complete a regular diploma program within four years? Um, if a student um, uh, leaves us uh, as a dropout or leaves us for some unknown reason as a freshman, they will count against the gr graduation rate four years later. So the, 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 they're a little bit different calculations. So you can see here our latest graduation rate is 89.9%. Our dropout rate is approximately 1.3%, so they are different calculations in here. Um, here you'll see just a quick snapshot of the um, district graduation rate in relation to the Kansas graduation rates over the course of time. I do not yet have the Kansas graduation rate for 2018. They have not yet published that on the, on the report card site. Uh, students actually have until September 30th to be counted as part of their cohort class. And then we use the month of October to do data validation and corrections. Uh, we finalize that in November, and then it's somewhere between December and January is when uh, KSDE uh, publishes all those results in their reports. Uh, this slide, there is a five-year cohort graduation rate as well. So um, a number of students who, you know, if a student doesn't happen to finish in, in, in four years but they want to continue going, we do offer opportunities for students to complete those credits. And there is, a, a like we said, a, a five-year calculation which um, which allows us to, to make a, a, about a two or two and a half percent gain sometimes in those graduation rates. So it doesn't necessarily mean you know, if a student doesn't finish in four years, it doesn't mean they all just drop off the radar. For example, um, from this year's numbers, we have had 38 students that were continuing as a fifth-year um, student to, to finish up their um, to finish up on their graduation requirements. And the final slide shows um, graduation rates across each of our reportable subgroups, um, and um, and and over the last three years uh, amongst all students. The good news is our graduation rates have been coming up. Um, we still have some gaps among, among some of our groups, um, but, um, um, but we're, we're continuing to monitor these, these, um, these rates and, and uh, try to have a positive impact on, on, on these pieces. Of course, this data will become part of the, um, 
uh, strategic planning process as well. So you'll have uh, the committees or, or, or task forces will have um, opportunities to, uh, to look at this data in, in further detail later. Are there any questions about this information? Yes, Mrs. Mack. Yeah, I have a quick question. Yeah. When you look at the previous slide, yes. are, um, do we get uh, information if students uh, pass their GED? Is that, or is it actually high school graduation? It's high school graduation. A GED from the federal definitions, whether they finish it or not, still counts against graduation rate. And right, they do. It doesn't matter. Um, statistically, they've found that it doesn't matter whether you've gotten your GED or not. The the um, they they think that the the prognosis or whatever the outcome is is the same. So whether they get a GED or not, we do not get credit for that, and nor does um, that get reported back to us in general. Thank you. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Go ahead. Um, is there? Um, I think the five-year rate is critical to include. So I appreciate seeing that that Thank we you. continue to look at four and five-year because that's really important. Um, do we have plans to look into looking at what happened in 2015 and trying to understand that? Is there statistical significance in that year from 14 to 15? I, I'm not asking right. you to answer it now, but well, are we a few into things. That? A few things did happen in that transition time. Uh, 20, 2014 is about when we transitioned from the old AS400 student information system to Skyward. Okay. So. Part of my, uh, from what I recall, there was some, when you transition from a 25-year-old from a data system into this new, um, in, into the system we're currently in, there's some, some challenges in, 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 in um, uh, perhaps then going back four years and making sure that you've captured all of the, um, okay. all, the all of the individual data and all of the corrections. That's what I think I remember from that year. Intent to oh. continue to explore that beyond that, no, or is that part of kind of it's part of our ongoing continuous improvement okay. efforts? No, I, I do want to add this: ninety-one point five percent. While the goal is always for every child to graduate, ninety-one point five percent. When you look at it from a national perspective, is actually good. So think about it this way: in two thousand fourteen, uh, at a national level, the the highest state graduation rate was uh, about 91%. And everybody else was pretty much in the 80s. So this is actually really good. Now, it, for us, it's really a benchmarking, right? Our goal is to get better from this point forward. But to do that, we have to understand the why. Why do kids not graduate? You've got to back up to where you start to see problems developing. And that's where, that's where the strategic plan and the work by uh, site councils and buildings really pays off over a long period of time. If you're digging into that data, understanding why, looking for the trend lines of what uh, potential indicators are for students that might be at risk of dropping out, and do everything you can to try to keep them in school. And there are multiple points along the way that we need to intervene, and we know that. Thank you. Okay. Anyone else? Yes, Mrs. Osley. So I know we're we're benchmarking and we're we're figuring out where we're at. Um, it would be useful to be able to compare the graduation rates by student groups to the statewide data so that we could see are we um, statistically in the same spot as the other districts in the state? Are we worse? Are we better? Is that achievement gap here? 
you know, um, reflective of the gap throughout the state, or are we, where where are we at on that? So, so our similar to our all student group, our our other our student subgroups tend to run parallel, but above state averages. Um, I can't speak to how much those gaps are, but um, generally speaking, they they're they're above the state averages within each of those subgroups, but. Um, but but the gaps exist not only within Shawnee Mission but but um, but st statewide as well. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Um, actually, can I direct my question, Dr. Fulton? Having worked with large data sets and trying to blend data different data sources together, can you maybe speak to if we don't speak to the long-term role of disaggregating data and helping understand where we are as a district because. As we're looking through this, sometimes it's not, we don't have the data at present to disaggregate in the way and to make those comparisons that are so critical um, that Ms. Owsley brought up. And can you just speak to the role in general? How, how are we going to look at disaggregating data and how does that play into where we want to go moving forward? Sure, so I'll give you a spe specific example. You know, one of the slides we have here is that there are 110 students that didn't graduate. Is that right? You're Year four, non-graduates, at the four-year co cohort, there were 110 students that did not graduate. Correct. Each one of those 110 students has a story. So you have to unpack their story. What were the variables under our control such that if we would have done things differently with that child at different points of time, it may have made a difference in their life? That's where you begin to use data to understand the why. Did the student walk in as a 16-year-old with two credits? That happens from time to time. What interventions are we able to put into place for that student? So you not only look at it within a year, but you look at it across years. And that's where you really have to dig down now into your data at the elementary, middle, and high school level and say, again, what's working? Who is it working for? And then what do we need to understand about each learner to help them be successful? Where is our system breaking down? And then what other supports do we need that we may or may not be able to provide? And those family supports, it could be trauma. So it's interesting. You use, you use data to understand the problem, but it's that, that unpacking of the data, peeling back of the onion, where you really start to get down into the individual narrative. And that takes uh, time and methodology, and then you've got to be able to do something with the data and want to snap their fingers and fix the problem immediately, and that's not the way this works. We need does, that, does that answer Yeah, it? and we need to begin by making sure we mm -hmm. have that information available to us. So if yeah. we don't at present, there is an intent to make sure we have that information moving forward. And that is, that is why these meetings become so important, because mm -hmm. for the first time, we're publicly unveiling parts of our data that we haven't done before, mm -hmm. and it's something that principals haven't necessarily seen. And so. Principals, teachers, parents, this is a, this is a public effort mm -hmm. to get better. Mm -hmm. And so the data is going to help us do that. Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you. Um, I think what Ms. Salsley was asking about was to be able to get the rates for uh, the different student groups. But you stated that on KSDE's website, I think you can get that data, right? But it's just not out for 18 yet? Right. 16 and 17 is available. So all you have to do is go there. Statewide. So it's right. And I would do it yourself if you right. want. Right. And, and I think we are, um, 
I've, I've looked at the data. I know we're, we trend slightly above the rest of the state, but I mm -hmm. want other people to know that as well, that we, mm -hmm. we follow the same trending track, but we're slightly above it, even though the 2018 data isn't out yet. So really, I was asking a question to make sure that other people know where the data is at and that they can get it. And certainly, certainly. you know, this is going to be a very important part of the strategic planning process and part of the conversation with all of these folks that Dr. Fulton just outlined who are going to be invited to the table because as we identify the areas that we need or have area areas of improvement on, um, be it catching students in elementary school or making sure we have an appropriate diver diversity and inclusion plan or where can we improve, like all of that will be part of the strategic planning process so that it's built into the fabric and mission of where we're going forward. That's right. And we can get that data for you, right? That, you. that Kansas comparison data, right? Anyone else? Thank very much. Okay, the second report. I don't know if I need to spin around and introduce <laughs> myself again, but yeah. um, <laughs> so the, the the second report I have is what what I've sort of just. Coined the the uh, the Swiss Army knife of, of assessments. It's it's the NWA map assessment, which uh, is an assessment that that we use for uh, a lot of different purposes. In part because it's um, the assessment is ideal for measuring both status and growth over time, especially long term growth. There are not uh, many assessments that are truly sort of vertically aligned. Um, or when you get a score, it doesn't the score is not associated with a grade level. It's associated with a set of skills. Um, so moving through this data, just the first slide just shows, uh, outlines some of the purposes um, for the NWA map uh, data. Um, what, what I'm sh going to show you in this report is actually a snapshot report produced by NWEA, um, but it's similar data that, that, that I've produced in, in reports for building principles and some of those areas. I just, I thought NWEA did, did, did a nice job of, of framing some of the research questions within the, this report. And so the, the, um, the PowerPoint is, 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 is pulling from some of the highlights of a, of a, a little bit longer report that, that you have. Um, one of the, the first slide that, that I want to highlight here is, is that um, as you're looking at the performance of Shawnee Mission students, and this is a snapshot from fall 2017, it would look similar if it were looking at fall 2018. Um, the first bar is the, is the national distribution of their data when, you, when they attach a, a percentile ranking to, to the standard score. Nationally, you have 25% in the top 25% of all students nationally. You have 25% in the, in the, in the, you know, in, in the lowest 25% and so on. Now, among Shawnee Mission students, um, we have uh, a, more than a third of our students in, the, in that high-performing green area. So, um, in general, we, we do have a higher proportion of high-performing students within our district. And that's, and that's, um, that's, what, uh, that's what I wanted to highlight with this slide. Uh, this, the next slide, um, before we get into the, actually the rest of this presentation in here, I want to highlight that when, as we're looking at the next several slides, keep in mind that when we're talking about um, student growth, the 50th percentile is normal because when we're talking about average growth, um, half of the students would be above average, half below. So one of the goals as you're looking in these subsequent s slides is you're really looking for students to be above that percent, 50th percentile level. Um, so this shows a, a, a three-year 
trend of student growth when you're looking at fall to spring. So these are students that had a score in both places, so that it removes students who moved in or out. Um, and it looks at the growth percentile. I believe they're combining reading and math uh, together. Um, what, I, what I like about this picture is that in, for, for all, all three of these years that are measured, we're all above the 50, 50th percentile range in terms of student growth from fall to spring. Um, NWEA's statement is that it's, it's consistently average, um, I, you know, it, which I read it as it's not significantly above that 50th percentile range, but I do see it as in general when you see students above that 50, 50th percentile, um, growth is more accelerated than decelerated. So we have a number of students who are, um, for example, making one, more than one year's worth of growth from fall to spring. Uh, this slide takes a look at the top 10% 10, 10 of students and the bottom 10% of students. And one of, one of the things we have to look at when we're looking at student growth are, is our, are all students growing at an equal rate? Um, are we making sure the students who are at risk on the, on, the, on the bottom end of the percentile, are we at least accelerating their growth? And even in the top end of the students, you know, top end, um, are, are we continuing to grow them as well and challenging them with enriching activities? Um, so again, the norm would be 50% in both of those categories. With our bottom 10% of students, they're at the 61st percentile, which NWA uh, would classify that as... Um, uh, uh, being above the norm, slightly above the norm, which means that bottom 10% is showing acceleration. And while at the same time that, that uh, the top 10% are continuing to grow um, on average at um, um, at least in, at a normal rate. And in this case, when I look at that 57th percentile, it's pretty close to being that, to getting that slightly above the norm classification. Um, another perspective, so NWEA is a nice predictor of ACT um, performance. It, it, it predicts whether or not students are on track to um, reach that, that, that college readiness mark of either 22 or 24. Um, and this graph illustrates the, the percent of students that are, that are on track for college readiness. And this prediction actually starts at, at the fifth grade level um, where you can take a look at whether or not students are on track assuming they would make normal annual growth from one year to the next. And the final slide um, provides a disaggregated look. Uh, it's just by race and ethnicity. Um, the, the top um, uh, top row is a percentile that represents achievement among each of those groups. And then the bottom percentile is, um, represents the, um, the growth um, by those demographic groups. Um, for this particular report with NWA, we only provided the race and ethnicity categories, um, but I could certainly, by through another process, um, pull other categories. But um, but this um, there's certainly some some overlap between um, some or other demographic uh, groups like uh, English language learners and um, uh, students on free and reduced lunch and, and some of the minority groups as well. Um, but as you can see, there are some gaps that we, we, have, we, we have to work on amongst our, our uh, subgroups. Any questions about this report or, or any of NWA map data moving forward? Mrs. Housley. So is the map test the one that we've had technical difficulties with in the past when it was given in the last few years? Is, or was that, the, was, was that another assessment? So um, we have... 
Depends on the window. Uh, we did we did have in 2015, 2014, some major technical difficulties with the state assessment. Mm -hmm. um, recently, we've had some challenges with with the with the map assessment in this winter window. So it's it's it, it depends on um, depends on which window we're we're referring to. Um, in the fall, there was a, a there were a couple days where NWEA um, I guess crashed, if you will. And so we did have to shut down testing for a couple days. And then is it more difficult this year? I've heard from some folks saying that the questions have been more challenging for some of the students taking the test. I understand that as it's designed, it's supposed to get more challenging as the student progresses right. to where they're not able to answer the questions. But I've heard from a lot of people this year that the questions were just much more difficult than they had previously been familiar with. So NWA will periodically make adjustments to the test bank in order to make sure it's aligned with Kansas standards. So they do have, we're not just, they don't just open up the bank for, for, for all states. So they do make some adjustments for Kansas. Um, they did make some adjustments over the summer. So um, for some students, the test is taking a little bit longer. Um, I do monitor the statistics from one year to the next to see if it's having a, 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 any substantial effect on RIT scores. I'll be doing the same from, from the winter. I do know from the fall snapshots, um, because the change really was occurred in the summer, from the fall snapshot, there were, I, I'm not seeing any significant difference in, um, in, in student results. Um, I did have, uh, for example, one uh, staff member asked me about that, and they're, they're actually, their fall scores, their fall average actually went up which would explain to me why perhaps that group of students might see more challenging questions because they're coming in at a, at a higher at level a higher as well. Level. So sometimes that, um, sometimes that can be a factor too as to when they're coming in or how they're coming in. Questions? Just a couple of very quick comments. When you look at, when we look at this slide, it, it speaks to a couple of things. First of all, these are averages. Asian right. students, okay, on average, the mean. Um, when you're when you when on average you're starting at 72 for Asian students and 40 for African American students. Obviously, for a lot of kids, there's very different starting points in their learning progression. So it's important that we design a system that assumes that all kids can get to high performance, but you customize it because kids have some kids have different starting points. Right? That's normal. Uh, the the challenge also that you get into is to understand the why. Why are African-American students consistently in the data that we've looked at this fall performing at lower levels than Caucasian and Asian peers? Now, we know that's a national phenomenon, but why is that occurring? And I think it does go back to the issue of expectations uh, that we have of all kids, but also it goes back to the training that we have, all of us have, as staff on how do we interact with and work with African-American students, Hispanic students, indeed all students, to help them be successful. And I think that's where, the, uh, where diversity training, cultural competency training now becomes very important. Check our assumptions. Do we have the tools we need to reach all kids? You know, that's always a journey for all of us as educators. So this data is going to be very helpful as we get into not only strategic planning, but also as we start to get into uh, diversity training for us as a staff. And, and you have lined up some diversity training for the staff as a whole. Is that correct? We, we are in the process of working on that, and we're going to bring an update to you in the near future about that, about the work that's going on in the background to get ready for next year. 
Okay. On the training, yes. Good questions. Great. I'd say thank you, but there's one more piece to this. <laughs> we may need a three-minute timer up there. That's all right. <laughs> Is that on you or on the board members? <laughs> yeah. You can take as much time as you want. <laughs> it's going well. The so presenter gets there. three minutes. <laughs> well, thank you, for, thank you for having me this evening to talk briefly about our storied past, our, our bright future, and where we are today as far as career and tech ed. <clears throat> when I think about career and tech ed, when I was in high school, this picture kind of represents the mentality, and we've come so far from there. Um, it, it's interesting as we've opened up the building here and I've met parents. I've had a number of parents ask me, do you have to be part of the IB program to come to classes here? I've also had parents ask if you have to attend the alternative school to come to classes here. So it's an interesting, the, the different misconceptions we have out there about what career tech ed is and what we can offer for students. The list you see here are the current 15 career pathways offered by the Shawnee Mission School District. We have over 6,000 students enrolled in one or more course in one of these areas for this school year. That's an exciting jump from previous years, and we continue to see growth in those pathways. We continue to also add pathways, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. Students that participate in these pathways, many of them have the opportunity to earn industry-recognized credentials or certifications that they can take and go directly to an employer and use that. Then the employer does not have to train them up on their own. It's an industry-recognized certification. Some of those we do get some, uh, some money back from the state. Certain certifications have an incentive tied to them. Um, in our case, the CNA is the biggest one. Uh, there's also several in the construction trade, which is an area we don't really touch when it comes to career and tech ed. <clears throat> the numbers you see up here, a CTE concentrator is a student who's completed two or more units, Carnegie units of credit in a certain pathway. So as we've expanded both pathways and opportunities for students, we're seeing a jump in the numbers and kind of to tie in with Dr. Grumman's commentary, if you look at students who have been a CTE concentrator, their graduation rate is significantly higher than students who have not been part of one of our programs. So that's something I, I share that information with parents and community groups as I talk about the importance of career and tech ed. It's not just meant for students going straight to the workforce, it's also for students who are going off to college. We want to have them have both of those options. A couple other interesting data points up there. The, the post-secondary placement, that is students who are going to work or college. <clears throat> They're not just sitting out there in their mom's basement for life, stay-at-home kid, stay-at-home son. The non-traditional, that is a gender-based definition. So career fields where less than 25% of the employer, employees in that career field, <clears throat> if they're one or the other gender, then they count as a non-traditional uh, participant in our pathways here. And I will say it looks like the number for that has jumped, as far as the completers rate, has jumped about double again for the current school year, the number of kids we've had that are, are participating at high levels. If you walk the building here, walk classrooms, uh, for example, girls in engineering is one that is a non-traditional. And you walk through the classrooms upstairs and probably about 25, 30% of the kids are 
are females now. The same thing with medical science, non-traditional male for medical science. We have a number of students who are part of those programs here and across the district. The long-term goals I've got up here are things that the CTE teachers across the district and I have kind of worked to develop, and it should be noted that, especially with the first one and the second, those first two, as new federal accountability rules come out for Perkins, Perkins 5 was reauthorized over the summer, as the state develops their plan, part of that is the idea of a value-added diploma. So when one of, my, one of our students walks across that stage, besides that piece of paper, they also have college credit, a job shadowship, some kind of professional learning experience, or, uh, or some AP type of credit. So there's some different pieces to factor in there. Also, the collaboration piece. As we look towards the future, we want to make sure we're collaborating with our neighbors, Blue Valley, Olathe, DeSoto. I meet with them regularly to talk about where we're all going with different programs to make sure that we're not duplicating efforts so we can make sure we're safe with our money. And as far as near-term uh, things that are coming down the road, cybersecurity, that course is on the program of studies draft that you see tonight, so that's something that we're looking to roll out into next school year. And then beyond that, move into the idea of network infrastructure. <clears throat> I apologize for my cold. Network systems and network infrastructure. We're also expanding through the, through the program of studies this evening, the teacher and training uh, program to all five of our high schools. Right now it's just located at two. So we're looking to help build that teacher core group that want to come back and teach for us. Long term, you know, looking potentially three, five, ten years out, depending on what happens with strategic planning and what happens in the, the job market around the area. Advanced manufacturing, the robotics side of manufacturing is a big piece in our metro region. Uh, and also the energy, talking about smart grid, wind power, solar power, and how that factors in. Other things just to kind of tie up as, as, we, as we look to the summer, we're happy to host summer enrichment here at the CAA. We're going to be a satellite campus. So for the engineering, medical health science, uh, animation, game design, biotechnology, we'll have courses through summer enrichment for our elementary, upper elementary, middle school kids. That's exciting. Um, and again, I, if you have any questions for me, I'd be happy to answer those. Or we can get on with the meeting. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Um, you mentioned uh, discussing things with other school districts nearby. I yes. know we have culinary students that attend Broadmoor. What do our students attend in other school districts? The, our biggest piece there would be JCCC. We have a number of students who go out to JCCC to participate in what used to be called SB 155. Now it's called Excel and CTE coursework. Uh, there are close to 900 courses this spring that are free to high school students. Most of those transfer on to four-year colleges. And it's in areas beyond HVAC and plumbing. It includes computer programming, accounting, marketing. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities we have out there that we send kids uh, to JCCC to participate in. Did I hear you say those classes are free? The tuition is free. Now, if you take auto tech, you have to buy your tools, and that could be expensive, but the tuition itself is free. Do, you, do students have to take the compass test, et cetera, to get in? Yes, they do enroll as a normal JCCC student. And where do they take the compass test? Out there at, the, at their facility. 
Mrs. Ela. Just to cotton on to that idea, I, I would love the idea that we can work in coordination with the other school districts in the area and not reinvent the wheel four times or six times or whatever the case may be. And I know we've had some kids from Blue Valley in our culinary program. I don't know if that's still true or not, but Olathe has a culinary program, but they have some great, you know, shop um, wet shops, basically, and that would be great. I know there's kids in our district that would love that, so I don't know how far-reaching that is, or maybe that's a strategic plan kind of thing there, but, and I know the superintendents have talked about that to try to kind of figure out how we can do that in conjunction with one another. Are we moving in that direction? We, we are, and as we, I mentioned the Perkins 5 reauthorization, we will have to do a, a need, needs assessment each district is supposed to do their own. The state is toying with the idea of Johnson County doing a single needs assessment for all six districts mm -hmm. to coordinate our efforts. That'd be great. Thank you. Um, can you talk just a little bit about the teaching trainer, recruiting teachers mm -hmm. here in the district and how that works? So right now we have two schools, Shawnee Mission West and Shawnee Mission Northwest, that offer a teacher training pathway. They do introductory classes in the high school and then the following year they do shadow ships and internships with elementary teachers in the district. And we're looking at expanding that to some of the other buildings? We're going to have it listed as offered at all five high schools right now. The program of studies has it just listed at those two. Great, thank you. And that's one of the special projects actually that Mrs. Seek is working on. And I, I do want to add this too. While we don't have it in this report yet, in time, uh, in all of our reports, we'll be able to look at distribution of uh, the population in terms of what kids are signing up. Is it proportional to the, to the population that we serve? Are we seeing, for example, and you brought it up, are we seeing women, uh, girls signing up for some of the programs? Are we seeing African-American students signing up, Hispanic students? And that is part of the equity work that you do to make sure that we're intentionally reaching out to students and getting them involved in these programs. Teaching's a big one. You know, we need more diversity in our teaching workforce, and so part of our work that we'll do internally is begin to be intentional about reaching out to uh, the depth and breadth of our student population to try to encourage students of color to go into teaching. Are we doing anything to bring them back here after they, if they complete the program? Well, that's part of the, that's part of the work you do with programs like that. And I always said this, you, you, you never want to quite go to the point of promising them a job. But I think what you can say is, we're going to help you any way that we can, work hard, and, uh, you know, it might just turn out well. So in terms of coming back to your alma mater and, and teaching. So, but those are the kinds of intentional activities that we're starting to engage in. And starting to identify university partners that will work with us. Great. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you very much. Thank you. We appreciate thank you. the updates. Next up, we move to item four, which is our consent agenda. And uh, I'll first ask if there's any board member that would like to remove anything for con independent consideration from the consent agenda. Yes, Mrs. Zila. I would move approval of the consent agenda. Thank you. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila, for the first, and Mrs. Goodburn for the second. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. 
and I was trying to make that as clear as possible so that our clerk can record that when she gets back. It. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, with that, we jump ahead to number five, which is our action items. So a variety of items we've already talked about today are now under consideration for action items. Mm -hmm. But the first one is uh, 5.01, and it's our high school program of studies for the year 1920. Dr. Fulton. We're, we, we're available to respond to any questions that you may have, and uh, do, do you have anything yes. you want to share? Okay, first of all, Dr. Fulton, Dr. Southwick, Mr. Stratton, members of the Board of Education, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to share with you a little bit of our work on the proposed revisions to the high school and elementary and middle school programs of studies. I have the privilege of speaking tonight. The work was accomplished through a team approach. Our high school administrators who are in attendance tonight assume great leadership in this process. Ladies and gentlemen, administrators, would you please stand? I want to personally thank them. They have very few nights to themselves, and I stole one. So thank you for your leadership and your support this evening. Uh, we've also had our leadership and learning team that has been a part of the process. And in this, in this process, our leadership and learning team has been instrumental. Dr. Gilhouse, Dr. Dennis, Dr. Grumman, Dr. Flurry, Dr. McKinney, Kim Barney, Travis Gatewood, and Kristen Zook have been, worked tirelessly to try to facilitate these changes. Our counselors have provided a wonderful sounding board for us to make sure our information was clear and concise, hopefully, to uh, effectively communicate with our families. And really, I need to share that uh, we need special recognition for uh, Sheriff Bury, our administrative assistant, that worked tireless hours to try to pull this together. And Terry Wintering, who would be embarrassed, but I'm going to tell you, thank you, Terry, for the countless hours on your vacation, I believe, uh, when you were editing many of the documents that you see before you tonight. Uh, and finally, the teachers, they've served as a sounding board for making sure that we're orchestrating the changes that best meets our students' needs, and they act as a really good sounding board to make sure that we have uh, ensured that that information is being shared appropriately. We also recognize that our program of studies is never finished. It's always going to evolve and constantly change because we want to better meet the needs of our kids. To give you an idea of the team approach, uh, we started right after the board approved the 1819 version of the program of studies in December of 2017. We started in January of 18, beginning some of the edits. We worked in earnest beginning in September of 2018, and that work uh, is what's led to the product that you see before you. Primary purpose of the program of studies, why do we have them? The, the basic answer is, it's got to try to ensure that it's a communication tool for our students, their families, and our staff so that they understand what's available. And we also want to make sure that it helps to focus the students' course consumption, in other words, their individual plans of study, to ensure that they have wonderful learning experiences that are available within the Shawnee Mission School District. You've been provided the table of changes uh, so that you would hopefully be able to follow along with us. We had three edits to the course or the general content. Those were we standardized the course fees across the district. We tried to uh, 
propose weighted GPA or weighted uh, courses to be able to earn C's. This district has not offered that in several years, actually several decades, and we would propose adding those uh, weighted coursing or weighted offerings for grades of C, which in the past had only received a two point on the four on the five point scale. So they, the proposal would be in effect for incoming eighth graders for the class of 2019-20 so that when they graduate in 2024 they would have that impact. We've also tried to expand the e-school opportunities to provide more flexibility for our students. We've created 11 new courses to provide opportunities for our students. We've tried to delete. Uh, I know that always looks bad. You'd think if you added 11, you'd delete 11, but we're working on that. We've modified 36 courses in a variety of ways. At this time, I would take any questions that you might have on the overall table and the proposed changes. Yes, Reverend Guy. I, I just want to reiterate that the weighted grade point average change um, is not retroactive. It will start with the incoming eighth graders, you said? Yes. Next year. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. In us, Dr. Sinclair. I just put a, sorry, um, cough drop in my mouth. Bad timing. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask the scary question of, um, can you explain why that needs to be, that it would not be retroactive? And I appreciate this. You've, you've presented last year about the, the weightings and the history behind that. Um, so can you speak to what the challenges would be to make those changes retroactively so those students who are currently right now kind of in, the, in sure. those honors and AP classes that have Sure, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Grimm is going to help me if I stumble, but I, I'll answer it. First, with a question. When would you want it to be retroactive to? Well, because that would be somewhat of an impact. I'm thinking current students. Okay. You know, so if you're a sophomore or junior or okay. know, looking to graduate, um, where it might impact your application to college. Okay. And again, I don't know how many no. students. I'm opening up a can of worms. I recognize that, but help me no. understand. No, it's a great the pros question. It's a great question. Couple of things. First of all, what happens to students that dropped? I waited course because they had a C at semester. What kind of impact would that have on students? Because typically you make an impact on a graduating cohort because you don't want to do anything that would negatively impact a student in the middle of the stream. Because when they signed up for the courses, they were signing up for those courses in their program of studies based on the year that they took the course. So if you retroactively change it, what about the students that dropped that class or didn't take that class because they weren't going to have that option. I can't calculate what that number is, but I also know that if you change in the middle of a cohort group, you're going to have some students that would have weighted GPA on that course that, in theory, what might not have taken a course in future consumption. They might not have enrolled in that course. The other piece that's out there. We don't calculate GPA and use it for class rank, but if a student asks for that class rank, we have to provide that for their scholarships on an individual basis. There is the possibility that we would change class rank based on weighted GPA impact during a cohort group. So you might have a senior whose uh, class rank would change based on the impact of those C's being added back to their weighting. Um. 
Do you have a sense of how many students this would impact? Of those, not you know, not those who decided not to, but no. those who are currently. We would have to research okay. that okay. and look. Okay. You're in ten percent. If you're in ten. Your questions. Dan did run the simulation to calculate what the impact would be of a seed being <laughs> added back to that, and for lack of a better term, it's insignificant in terms of the decimal change in terms of that impact. Oh, of a student's GPA? Yes. If you if you took it over a course of 28 credits available, it would be insignificant if one C was added back to that GPA. Okay, thank you for doing that. Mrs. Osley. But this is in part to incentivize students that might not otherwise sign up for the class because they might be afraid of getting that C, and so we're inviting other students to the table because that, that C won't negatively impact their GPA in the way it does now. So it's a way to open these classes up in a more inclusive manner so that kids will be willing to take a off chance. something a little bit more. Yeah. Yes, take that chance. No, totally agree. That's why this, in our opinion, was a great, great suggestion. Mrs. Zila. Yes. Just, I, I agree totally with that, that this gets more inclusive for kids that might have steered away from those courses in the past. And I want to thank you, I mean, just the, the number of staff that you mentioned to have to get through this from January to December every year. It's an ongoing task. It's Herculean almost of a task because I see Sheris working on it, you know, constantly and stuff. So thank you for this. I mean, and the, the addition of the new courses are exciting. I think they're relevant and I think they're really going to grab some, some enrollment in that. So thank you. Thank you. Any other questions in relation to the proposed program of studies? I am excited to share this. Uh, this is because of the great work of Dr. Dane, Dr. Grimm, and Dr. Fleury. The, the APIN capstone process, just to give you a little bit of an overview, and they'll be happy to speak if I get stumbled. But the AP capstone program, think of it as, I, as basically taking the International Baccalaureate program, and as I said, if you can't beat them, you join them. Uh, we currently have three high schools that have IB opportunities. The International Baccalaureate, the AP Capstone Program are going to mirror each other in terms of opportunities for our students. The AP Capstone basically would begin at South. Why do you say South? They have a rich history of AP consumption, and, the, and three high schools currently have uh, the IB program. We're also wanting to offer it at CAA this year or for this next year because think of all the signature programs that Dr. Flurry referenced. Many of them do extensive research. This would be a perfect opportunity for those students to be able to utilize the AP Capstone program as a part of this. To give you kind of an idea, there's a certificate program which if you take the AP uh, uh, seminar course and the AP research class, you would be able to qualify for the certificate if you scored a three or better on the AP exam. For the diploma program, you have to take both those programs score, or both those courses score three, plus take four other AP courses where they would score three or better. So that would allow them to have the AP uh, diploma. The AP seminar and research pro courses themselves uh, are going to be, if you take for next year, if we phase this in, in 1920, uh, seminar would be for juniors, potentially. 
it would be, it's basically a project-based course that allows students to uh, evaluate, research, et cetera, and be able to also uh, vie on some, or be able to discuss some very complex topics. The research course would be then offered in that 2021 school year, and that research course then would allow a full year of research, extensive research on a topic of the student's choice. And that would be the uh, end of the two-year program. If this shows great results, we would then want to expand that to the other high schools that do not have international baccalaureate. Mrs. Goodburn. Are there costs associated with that? Student with costs, just like the international baccalaureate. Are they similar or in costs? Yes. Okay. Other questions? Just to give you an idea, we'd be one of 1,800 high schools across the country that have the AP capstone currently. These are the high schools, the six high schools in the state of Kansas that currently are participating. So we... It's exciting. Thank you. Thank you very much. I would like to be bold. If I might, high school principals, I would invite you to be able to leave at your convenience. At <laughs> so, thank you. Don't you want to see our vote first? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I'll seek a motion to approve the program of studies for the high schools 19 and 20 as presented. So moved. Second. Thank you, thank you Mrs. Mack. Thank you for the second, Mrs. Goodburn. Any additional sub questions, sub uh, discussion rather? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. Thank you very much for your work on that. Uh, now we move to 5.02, which is the approval of the 1920 elementary and middle school programs of study. I'll invite whoever has the PowerPoint ready to go. No PowerPoint all for right. this. Uh, the changes that were made in both documents were, were pretty minor, so I'll just answer any questions you have. Questions about the program of study for elementary and middle for the coming school year? Being none. Thank you. I'll seek a motion to approve as presented. So moved. Thank I'm you, Mrs. Sorry. Zila. On the I'm, almost, I'm sorry. Oh, um, I'll seek a second, and then we'll do additional questions. Okay. I'll second it. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn, on the second. Yes, Mrs. Sinclair, Dr. Sinclair. Um, was the... Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> the the group that's kind of getting the advisory group that's being reconvened around one-to-one -one technology are there is that representing all of the grade levels elementary middle and secondary I was do you know I'm it's it really will it, it will it will be representative of the district and they'll look at not just one-to-one -one. there there's a yeah, I just want to clarify you know the the one-to-one -one initiatives been extremely helpful to kids and so yes uh, I want to underscore that but they'll look at they'll look at issues that were raised in the by some parents previously but also look at other issues related to technology that are important to learning but also just the way that technology operates uh, and interfaces with parents in the district so they're working on identifying the uh, process by which to get that representation right now and they'll start that up after the first of the year. Okay. And that is separate from the program of study. That's really a tool yes. used okay. to integrate. So, okay. I just wanted to clarify that. It was a question I received and wanted to clarify that. So, thank you. Motion on the table. Any further discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. And that passes 7-0.
We'll now move on to 5.03, the approval of an option agreement between Shawnee Mission and the City of Westwood. Dr. Fulton. Yes, this is an agreement that uh, I know Dr. Southwick has worked with and, and, and also myself with the Mayor of Westwood. It's an agreement that was discussed, uh, gosh, for the past year or so. Is that right, Dr. Southwick? And, um, and now we- Actually, over the last several years. Several years. Um, and In detail last year and then again this year. Why don't you go ahead and provide just some very brief detail to it? So basically the agreement um, gives us an opportunity to work with one of our communities, the city of Westwood, looking at, uh, as we purchased the intercom property uh, several years back, looking at options that we might have for either that piece of property or specifically for the piece of property where the school is. And this agreement um, basically just outlines an opportunity, should the district ever decide to sell that piece of property, that we would um, go through the normal processes that we go through to identify um, the value of the property, but then we would turn to the city of Westwood and ask them as an entity, would you um, be interested in purchasing the property? So we would go to them first, and if they offered a fair market value to us, agreed upon both entities, we'd give them the first opportunity to buy. That basically, in a, in a nutshell, uh, is what the agreement um, entails. It doesn't give it to them at a discounted price. It doesn't um, outline um, lots of specifications of, about things that we would consider before we'd sell the property. And, and it doesn't, it, it most certainly doesn't guarantee that you're gonna sell the property. It, you own the property and you can keep it as long as you want. But if in fact you decide to do that under this agreement, you would have an opportunity, they would have an opportunity to, um, to the first right to property. We'll say in this, um, this agreement is good for three years. And at the end of that three years, and I'm gonna speak to Mr. Stratton and concern sometimes about garnering future boards with, um, with um, obligations. Obligations. Um, so this is, this is a, an agreement that is there for uh, three years, but does have a renewal clause and uh, could be renewed by future city council of City of Westwood or by future boards of education. But it would be standing for three years. It's good practice. It keeps the option alive and well and in front of the respective uh, bodies responsible for approving such agreements. Questions about the, uh, the option that's been put before us? Yes. Dr. Sinclair. Um, just to clarify, so is this codifying what was m more of an, I don't know if it's a verbal agreement that was made a couple years ago? or Actually, there were discussions, um, Dr. Sinclair, but there was never any official action or any official promises that were made. Um, I've worked with um, John Yeh, the mayor, um, over... Um, about the 14 months or so that that um, I had an opportunity to work in uh, previous superintendent's absence and then as the interim. Uh, we did a lot of detailed work, again with no promises until the Board of Education would act. Um, so um, this would put with board action uh, what's been talked about in place, but never what was promised. 
And I might add, and then I picked up that conversation in July, and uh, we just wanted to take some time to really understand the agreement, where the, what the district's position on it was, and make sure that it was fair to both entities, both the city and the school district, and we believe that it is. But yes, Mrs. Bank. You are, but you are correct. There have been previous discussions. There have actually been public comments made here during our board meetings in the last couple of years, et cetera. So you are correct. I like. I just have to mention that I like that we're. It's a consideration of ten dollars, and it won't be applied to the purchase price if they ever buy it. I thought that was. <laughs> That's a formality. That was a very much yeah. a formality. I like that. But we'll make sure we get the check. Okay. Any other questions? Seeing none, I'll seek a motion to approve the option agreement. Move approval. Thank Second. you, Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We'll now move on to item 5.04, which is the approval of the <coughs> Shawnee Mission School District legislative platform as previously discussed. Um, I think I'll do it this way. Well, I'll first ask for any amendments to the draft that was presented. And we'll take actions on amendments before we take action on the final document. Mrs. Mack. I'd like to propose an amendment um, that would delete the last six words of the current draft. Thank you. Is there a second? second? There's a second, Mrs. Zila. Discussion. Any follow-up on that? Well, I, I would really like to hear from other board members before I say some comments. Okay. I think I see Dr. Sinclair's hand sheepishly going up. Well, <laughs> sheep oh, sorry. I didn't want to interrupt the conversation. Yeah. Um, I was, so this is, I don't know if this is a recommendation or kind of a question for discussion. So I would like to add on the, on number 14. Hey, hold on just a second, please. We're still entertaining a motion to amend. Okay. Um, by Mrs. Mack, right? Okay. Yeah, we're still on that motion. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. And would you restate your motion again, please? Um, to delete the last six words of the draft. Of item number 14. And restoration, okay. Any additional questions about the motion? Discussion? Well, she wanted to hear... Go ahead, yes, okay. Reverend Guy, yes. Uh, she wanted to hear from other board members. Um, I'm, I'm happy with that language that's in there. I think um, the districts that don't give their teachers due process, um, I think it'd be good for the state to, to ensure that for all the teachers in the state. So um, personally, I, I like it in there, and uh, I'm happy to leave it in there. I think all of the things in 14 are strengthening our state as a destination for good quality teachers, and that's what we want. Yes, Mrs. Zila. I like what Dr. Little said earlier about retention of teachers, of retaining them. Um, I think if we can have some language in there like that, I think that's an overall encompassing um, something that every school district would agree on, that they want to keep the teachers that they have and attract them to their district. I don't know that statewide due process, I'm not comfortable with that because I think there are some districts that really have embraced and a reason that, that the state took that out of law um, and that they would be harmed by that. And I don't want to speak for them or push on to them something that we already do and that we've taken care of with our with our teachers. So I don't, I agree with Mrs. Mack, I don't think the statewide due process is something that, that needs to be in our um, 
in our platform, nor especially it goes against KASB's stance and for just those two reasons right there, I don't think it's, it's a needed thing. Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Um, well, it, it struck me that we are getting ready to expand a program where we're recruiting students in the district to be educators. And um, when, we, when we do that, when we reach out to students in the district and say, we, we think that you would make a great teacher or we want you to be here in our district as a teacher, um, you know, I think there's also a responsibility with that to do what we can to make sure that the profession we're recruiting folks to is one that will treat them well. Um, and, and if I'm looking at it from the perspective of our students, then what, you know, would serve the students that we're encouraging to become educators. Just as a parent, I would want to make sure that anybody who graduated from a program in our district that they were going, if they were going to be working in Kansas, we're going to avoid that brain drain. How do we keep those good folks here? Um, so I, th I think it would be useful to keep it on. Um, I understand the concerns with regards to the KSB position. I, I get it. Um, I was there the night that they stripped due process. I I think it was in 2014. Um, 2506. Yeah, and it was it happened in the middle of the night, um, and that gallery was full of educators. It was like three o'clock in the morning when they stripped it, and it was one of the more disheartening things I have witnessed. And I saw the looks on the faces of the educators when that happened, um, and I I think that. You know, I, I, under, I understand the concerns, but having experienced that, um, an entire gallery full of educators wearing red for public education with their hands in the air for public education, I, I think it would be a good thing to keep this clause in there. The board members, about the motion. You, got, you want to go then? May I, may I follow you? Yes, you may. Thank you. <laughs> um, as I consider the motion, I'm looking at a couple of different things. Um, I'm very proud of the language that we began to introduce, I believe it was last year, uh, and then talking about the school district boundaries that are not the limits of our support. And we talked earlier about, you know, the cap that currently doesn't apply to us, but very well might in the future. Um, interestingly enough, my decision will ultimately come down to, to process, not to be confused with due process. As I mentioned earlier, was, we were, this is a clunky process, and I think this is a good learning example of how we're going to have to continue to tighten up our flow of decision making and how we as a body develop policy, develop platforms, and eventually decide on them. Um, I was one of the cooks in the kitchen, and I think we probably had too many cooks in the kitchen when it came down to it. Um, but you know what? That was a good thing. We had a lot of input. We had four folks that decided to uh, be part of a, a, a committee to work on that. That was great. Excuse me, task force. And, um, but in the end, when Dr. Atha and, and Dr. Little provided a draft on um, November 30th, that was the draft that I've been working off ever since that day. So that's, I'll, be, I'll be making my decision based on that process. Mac. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate these comments. Um, we've never had a discussion about due process on the Board of Education because we've never had to, because we've always provided due process for our teachers. Um, and maybe we can draw teachers to Shawnee Mission because we offer due process here. So that would just be a comment I would make. Um, I, I, I want to go back to the three reasons and, and Mr. Stratton about the process. Um, I was one of the four members of the committee and there, 
I remember specifically this discussion because I, I, I was very forthright in saying that I don't think this should be part of our legislative platform this year, and therefore um, I, I remember very specifically that there was no consensus on that whatsoever. Um, so it's interesting that at the committee level it wasn't, um, it wasn't part of consensus, then it was brought to the board, and then when we were asked about suggestions for the language, the only thing that was brought up to my recollection, oh, and also what Dr. Sinclair said about pensions, and then about what Dr. Sinclair said about retention of teachers. There was nothing about due process. Then we get the new draft, and the due process language was added as an addition to a clause that solely talks about pensions. That's all it talks about is pensions, and then it's just added on. So clunky, yes. Um, did I miss it? I guess so, because, and I know Mrs. Zila said we were both shocked kind of when we went, were going back over the agenda, and we went, whoa, when did that get in there? With that being said, I really want to make sure that whoever's tweeting out there or whatever, that they know that, that I am for due process for teachers, and I am proud that the Shawnee Mission School District has a due process for our teachers. But I do not like the state dictating what local boards can do. And I have sat in the legislative committee chair for KASB, for Shawnee Mission School District, the last couple of years. We have worked hard to build relationship with other districts throughout the state. And every district counts. And those local school boards, um, they do um, they do consider that as something that that they don't want to give up. They want to um, keep that out, and so I, I really have to think about those other people's in the KASB position there. Um, nobody likes being told what to do, and and now um, if we if we say a statewide restoration of due process, we're telling the state. We're, we're going to be telling every other district in the state that this is what we think you should be doing. I don't mind telling them we think they should be doing. I just don't think we should say that we need to legislate this because it doesn't affect Shawnee mission. And finally, um, and, and this is the major reason why I don't want this clause in there. It really does nothing for us, but it could be a political detriment. Um, this is a political football in Topeka. It really is. You were talking about the 3 a.m. It it, it's a political football. And we're not supposed to play politics as a board of education. Um, and I, I, don't, I really don't think it's in the best interest of Shawnee Mission this year to carry the water or even raise this issue. In the last couple of years, it has not been a part of our legislative platform. Again, we have not needed to because we have due process for our teachers. This year specifically, I really don't think it ought to be a part of this platform. In the, I'm concerned that it would sway someone to not vote in favor of the financial issues that we are facing right now. We have a Republican-led leg legislature. Um, I want to keep the focus on what really matters. I want to dial in on school finance. That school finance formula right now is so precious to our district and we want those inflationary measures added on to it. If we don't, we are going backwards. We will go backwards financially. We won't get our counselors. We're not, teachers aren't going to get raises. I hate to be the you know purveyor of doom here. 
I want to focus on that. And I am really concerned that if there's a, a legislator out there that looks at that and says, oh, well, therefore, statewide due process, then they won't vote, they won't vote for that. I, and there, I, I just, not this year. I want to dial in on getting that school formula in place and so I don't think it's in the best interest of the Shawnee Mission School District to have it as part of our legislative platform. And that's those three reasons. Policy, the policy was extremely clunky. Number two, KASB, other school districts in the state, it's a local control issue. And number three is, is dialing in on our school finance formula. That's what's important at this time. Yes, Reverend Guy. Uh, I appreciate your comments, and I think uh, this is this is definitely an area where maybe the board is not going to see things all the same way. To me, this whole document is a political document. And we're asking the politicians, this is what we want you to do. These are the laws we want you to pass for the benefit of our district and our students, but I think it's great that we're also saying for the benefit of other students in the state of Kansas as well. The number one thing we're asking for is to protect the authority of the Kansas Constitution. That's another political football going on right now, but we're taking a stand on that. We're saying we don't want this. There's one party in the legislature that wants this, that's pursuing this, and we're saying we don't want you to pursue it. So I, I think that's what this document is, is doing. It's saying that um, this is what we feel is in the best interests of the students, not only in our district, but other students in the state of Kansas. I think due process for teachers that's guaranteed through, for the state is in the best interest of our teachers and our students in the state of Kansas. And I don't mind saying that. And if the legislators are going to be upset with us, I don't know why they'd be more upset with us on that than they would be for saying that we don't want them to change the Constitution, which is another thing we're asking for. And the local control issue with other school boards that don't want that doesn't... That, okay. I'm just, I was just curious. Other board Thanks. members. Dr. Sinclair. Um, are we, I have other comments. This is only about the motion by Mrs. Mack. only about that last part. Okay. Okay. All right, then I'll ask for a vote. All those in favor. Can, we, can you clarify again what we are, the motion is? I'll, I'll <laughs> state the motion, and that motion is that uh, the document that's presented, that we strike the last words in number 14, and restoration of statewide due process. Striking that from, from the document is presented for our consideration tonight. All those in favor of the motion to strike those words from the proposed document, please say aye. Aye. Those opposed, nay. 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 Can I have a show of hands? All those in favor and uh, support of the motion to strike the language, please raise your hand. And those that voted against the motion. We have a 5-2. Uh, two five actually on the motion. So the, we'll take the motion back off the table and now we have the document as a whole. Are there any additional motions to the document as a whole as presented? Dr. Sinclair. So I'd like to um, make a motion to amend number 14 so that it reads support policies and actions for our educators and our support staff. Um, and if we're not worried about wordiness, I would add, in keeping with constitutional obligations and State Board of Education's vision to improve student success, comma, including. Um, 
So I have, a, I have a number of things to add. And then to add addressing higher education affordability would be the other piece. I'm going to suggest we do those in bite-sized pieces. Okay. So your right. first one was, um, I'll read it as I see it, and that is currently reads support policies and actions for our teachers. And then you want to add from there. No. Support policies and actions uh, to recruit and retain educators and support staff. So you would strike for our teachers and we would insert a more broader statement there. Support policies and actions to recruit and retain educators and support staff. Okay. Does everyone feel like they have that language? And you'd eliminate all the other language in it. Well, the for our teachers I would take out. Just the four. The rest teachers. of everything too. Nope. No. Papers, nope. Everything no. Else? No. That's oh. not what I was. This is oh. adding another we're sentence. Basically, we're breaking oh, it you're down. just adding in another clause mm -hmm. and leaving the other kinds. I'm, I'm expanding the word teacher to include educators and support staff, and to emphasize the part that this whole piece is about recruiting and in, and retaining educators and support staff. To me, the inclusion and all those other pieces are ways in which we recruit and retain educators and support staff. Okay, so just for clarification purposes so that I understand, because my, my laptop died, I don't have it in front okay. of me. Can you read it to me, the first change, exactly how it would read so that I can hear? Yes. Okay, thank you. you read the whole... Read the whole shebang, so I know... Through, so the, through the first sentence, as you're now proposing. Okay, it is only one sentence, correct? Well, th up until the comma after capers, how about that? Because that portion is remaining the same. Okay, so, okay. so it would read support policies and actions to recruit and retain educators and support staff, comma. Oh, in, in comma, including, and then you would list all the things you would do to support the policies and actions for our educators and supports to recruit, I'm sorry. Support policies and actions to recruit and retain educators and support staff. Okay. As, and then it stays the same. And then you... And, and for this vote, it stays the same. For the rest of it, stays the same. Yes. Okay. Correct. All we're considering All right. is a motion at this point to add the additional language that Dr. Sinclair articulated, and the only words struck were our, for our teachers, so that we're, we're clarifying that. Okay, I'm with you. Thank okay. you. Okay, and so the... And I guess the substantive change is that, in my mind, we are doing these everything that follows the comma including, right? So you have including as the language is here, it's funding capers, returning to tier two, all those pieces in my mind are about recruiting and retaining educators and support staff. Gotcha. Okay. All right, is everyone clear? There's been a motion. I'll first seek a second to the motion if everyone understands it now. Is there a second to the motion? I'll second the motion. Okay. Mrs. Goodburn uh, seconds the motion to add the language as detailed by Dr. Sinclair. Additional questions or clarifications on the additional amended language to number 14? And this is also under the presumption that we're not done with 14, but this is simply an amendment to 14 before mm -hmm. we take another requested amendments. Mm -hmm. okay. All those in favor of the proposed language of the amendment as proposed by Dr. Sinclair, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay? Okay, that passes 7-0. So that is added to the proposed language in number 14. Dr. Sinclair, did you want to add further? Um, well, I was considering two options after we do including and then listing those other elements. Um, we could do one of two things. We could not get specific 
and where I would look to our lobbyists to see is there benefit in being specific in terms of being effective? I'm sorry, Stuart, I'm putting you on the spot. Um, and if not, and we are going to list some things with specificity, I would like to include adding, addressing higher education affordability. And that's, again, pulling from KASB language. Those are pieces in there that play into our capacity to bring along teachers. We need to make sure our higher education is affordable for those folks. Series of questions for you there. Well, in, in terms of, of the specificity, I think that's that's at your discretion what you want to do. I think if there are some specific items in general categories, higher ed and those kind of yeah. things, I, that's perfectly appropriate and nothing unusual. I'm always hesitant to get too specific because if somebody comes up with, you know, Plan B, which works better than Plan A, your platform's not going to adhere to that. I would ask though that if you if you're going to come up with some wording. But identify it so we make sure we get it right this time. So well, yeah, yeah and I should. You so know, I didn't send it. Right. I should have sent my comments sooner. So I apologize. No, no, that's that's fine. I just want to make sure we we got it right. Whatever you do, but I think either way is fine. Okay. A, a question of clarification before we seek a, a, a second on that motion, and that is, um, by bringing in just the, the, the mere verbiage of higher ed, are we opening it up an additional potentially confusing conversation as we advocate for K twelve education? Mm -hmm. Um, maybe, but you know, it's it, like I've said, it, it's your document. It's what you all want it to be, and it's. Um, I think that's a discretionary call. I don't think it has any impact one way or the other on how it will be received and among the legislative delegation. Okay, more questions on the motion to amend before we seek a second to that. So we get clarification on what people are saying. Yes, Mrs. Uh, uh, can you read for me how this is going to read again? I'm a little lost and in again, the And again, it's just the amendment, right? Just the amendment. What so I would add somewhere in that list a comma that says um, addressing higher education affordability. And would you, would you give us a point to where your starting point? Yes, where would that go into the... It could go anywhere in that list. So we have... Um, we have Based on the amendment, we have support policies and actions to recruit and retain educators and support staff, comma. And then we have a list, including fully funded CAPERS, returning to CAPERS Tier 2, and associated benefits, and restoration of statewide due process. So we, I see one, two, three, kind of three You're elements. Proposing so a fourth element. I'm a, yes, I'm proposing and, a fourth element that could go... I have no, you know, could go anywhere in that list. Could well, go. Give, give us a proposed place for it. Yeah. Really? Okay. <laughs> I can just add it at the end. Thank you. Strike, strike the and before strike restoration. Strike the and and put an and, put and, and addressing higher education affordability. So the, so the motion right now that we're voting on is that clause. Uh, well, I'm going to ask for a second now that I okay. think we have clarity yeah. on that motion. I'll seek a second to further discuss that amendment. I'll second it because I have a question. Thank you, Reverend Guy. Um, and now go ahead with your question. Okay, so to me it's, it's confusing um, because everything else is talking about teachers and educators and support staff. And so the higher education piece to me, it's not obvious that you're talking about um, education students and the cost of getting a teaching certificate, which I think is what you're talking yes. about. Um, 
So I don't know if you need to add a word or two to make it clear. You're not just talking in general the affordability of higher education. You're talking about specifically for people who want to go into a teaching career. Is that? Um, I think this statement is general. I pulled, I mean, I pulled from the KASB language as well. So I think it was left to speak more broadly to the affordability of higher education. So, I mean, you know, I, I think you're raising good points. I, in thinking about the recruitment of educators, the affordability of college, and really, you know, is a component of the recruitment. So I would leave it general. And then if we're not comfortable as a board, that's fine. But I would leave it general. Okay. Yes, Mrs. Johnson. Um, so it's, so can you clarify for me? Because it's my understanding that um, one of the reasons KSB has this position is because for educators to move up the pay scale, going back and getting a master's or further education is part of that process um, in general across the board in most districts, um, you have length of service and then length of education as you, as you look at that pay scale. And so making higher education affordability a priority, it's a way of advocating for educators to make more money, basically. Is that, is that the thought process as to why it's in the KASB platform? So that, just so that we're clear on, because I support that in general, but I just want to know what. Um, uh, I, the discussions that we had in committee were along a different line. I would say um, teachers are also getting a master's degree to gain additional expertise in their field. It also helps mm -hmm. them move along a pay scale. Um, some of the conversations around this discussion in legislative committee was around dual licensure. So if you have a teacher, um, and um, you all might be able to speak a little bit more eloquent lead to this than I am, but the, in order to, um, for a student to earn dual accreditation at the collegiate level and the high school level, the teacher of that course has to have the appropriate accreditation to offer that to students. So it might not impact us as much in Shawnee Mission at present, um, but that is something that has been brought up that teachers might not always have that additional licensure to be able to offer that dual credit. And so the dual accreditation. So that's where I think it came up more within the broader conversation statewide. Okay, gotcha, thank you. Mm -hmm. Additional questions about the proposed amendment? Yes, Dr. Sinclair. As well as first generation students, that was the other piece that came up, okay. bringing in teachers. And I'm, I'm gonna turn to our <coughs> advocacy professionals here who are typing feverishly to try to amend here. Um, I'm gonna raise my thought and concern that we perhaps now have two items being addressed in one long one, meaning our interest in policies and actions regarding our current teacher base and current teacher bases as a whole, and then another one that talks about the pipeline for future teachers and or the, the development of, of future teachers. <laughs> I'm trying to find a question. Do you, do you see it a concern that we're lumping in both of those in the same one? I, I don't. I don't. Um, I don't necessarily. I would need to see how it's all going to look together, to be honest with you, and see just if it if it's going to. Most of the things that we have on here are brief and targeted and to a point, so that you can have a brief and targeted conversation, two, three sentences. Um, 
there's nothing wrong with having something larger in here. You look at the joint plat county platform that, that you just will work on next. But um, if you're going to do several topics and you want to emphasize them, I would probably break them out as opposed to keeping them in one longer section. Okay. Additional questions from board members about the motion? All right, I'll seek a vote on the uh, motion to amend this uh, item 14 as presented by Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor of the amendment, please say aye. 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 All those opposed to the amendment, please say nay. 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 Can I see a show of hands, please? All those in support of the amendment, please raise your hand. And those uh, opposed to the amendment is a, is a four. Okay. So we're back to the document as presented initially with the first amended piece that Dr. Sinclair offered regarding the, um, I'll say it, the broadening of the art for our teachers part. I'll move approval of the document. Thank with you. With the amendment, the first amendment. Well, it was actually the second, but yes. Well, whatever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Retain educators amendment. All right. Is there a second? I second. Thank you. Um, and I've lost track. So we are adapting the we, whole document. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Go. I was thinking we're down 14. All those in favor of adopting the platform as presented with the one amendment that was agreed to, please say aye. 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 Opposed nay. That passes 7-0. I want to thank everyone for that conversation. Um, I think that's a very important part of our role as elected board members is to uh, develop the priorities for this district and turn around and uh, work with staff, work with our professionals to advocate on, on behalf of those. So thank you for that process. And like I said, when we, when we chewed on it and four of you raised your hand and said, I want to be at that table for that discussion, I thought, that's great because that's what we're engaged in. Dr. Atha. Yeah, I would like to make a comment as well. Uh, Stuart and I work in tandem to try to capture a consensus among you, whether it's in the committee or in other other information that comes to us. And so I, I, I really appreciate the dialogue this evening and, and helping and, and reaching a consensus on this document. Uh, I think we arrived at a place where we we intended to go and where we intended to go. So I, I really appreciate that. So, so thank you. Thanks. All right, and with that, we'll move on to item 5.05, .05, which is the approval of the joint Johnson County legislative platform. And uh, I'll, I'll make a quick comment before we begin discussion that essentially what we're doing is we're agreeing to sign on to the document with the other six, other five districts. Um, I believe that we'll be the first to actually taking formal public discussion on it and each of the other districts are aware of that meaning they all know that we were going to be considering this publicly today so they got all the different drafts and amendments to us at this point so um, we have the document pr as presented in the agenda I'll first seek uh, a motion to see if anyone has the amendments to that similar to the process we just went through I'll seek a, a approval or I'll yeah seek approval for the document as presented okay second Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Um, we have before us the uh, proposal to uh, agree to sign on to the joint legislative priorities with the other five districts of Johnson County as presented. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed? That passes 7-0. Again, thank you for your participation in that conversation. I think that will be very helpful, hopefully, to advocate in what will be a very robust legislative session in 2019. Um, 
With that, we have the uh, 5.06, which is the approval of the strategic planning process. Dr. Fulton, would you like to make any comments before we consider that? I just want to thank the board for all their hard work on this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there we go. I want to thank the board for all of your hard work on this and uh, appreciate you contributing to the development of the process. Great. I'll move approval. I'll thank you, second. Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. We have a motion to approve uh, the strategic plan process. Any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We now have two components to that strategic planning process, and the first one is under 5.06. It's the approval of the contract for the Cambrian, Cambrian Consulting Services. So Good. moved. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. I'll second it. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Any other comments to that, Dr. Fulton? No, I think we explained it in the presentation. All right. Other board members? I just, Reverend Guy. I just want to point out that we don't usually... Uh, <coughs> have these as action items when the dollar amount is as small as this is. But again, we're trying to be as transparent as possible through this whole process. So we want to, we pulled this out to be an action item, even though the dollar amount is smaller than our action items usually are so that people can see exactly um, what the money is. So. Okay. Any other board members? Seeing none, all those in the favor of approval of the contract with Cambrian Consulting Services, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We go down to 5.07, the approval of the contract with Thought Exchange Services. I'll seek a motion. Move approval. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Uh, any discussion from board members? Dr. Fulton? I'd say the only thing I want to emphasize is, is that uh, not only is this a great tool to help us to interact with each other, but it's a tool that can be used for multiple purposes in the district beyond strategic planning, which will be beneficial to everyone. I to see how this works. It looks very promising. Good. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. All, right. All those in favor of the motion uh, regarding thought exchange services, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. <coughs> we move on to 5.08, which is the uh, contract. 5.09. Nine. Sorry, that's why I paused. 5.09 with train performance contract. Dr. Fulton, would you or one of your teammates like to speak to this? Sure, I'd like for Southwick uh, to talk about that for a second. Eric, there we go. Dr. Southwick, can you can you add to that? I'd be happy to. This is uh, our continued work um, upgrading energy um, issues around the district with respect to HVAC, lighting, HVAC controls. Um, it's continue our work with train. And this is of amount that we... Uh, want to make sure that we um, action on as it's close to $5 million. So this, um, all but about 380000 of this comes from the bond issue. We are going to replace two chillers and um, do some upgrades over at Broadmoor, and that's going to come out of capital outlay. That also was budgeted money. Any other questions? I'll seek a motion to approve. Move approval. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor of the motion to approve number 5.09, the contract with train performance, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We now move on to item 6, which is comments from board members. You've been a shy bunch. Do you have anything to say tonight? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Dr. Sinclair, go ahead. I'm having fun. This was kind of a hefty agenda tonight, and I appreciate the fact that we've been able to 
break things up a little bit by going to two meetings a month. Is this something that next year that we can try to work not to we had a lot of critical discussions tonight. It's we're going to learn from this one and, and spread the agenda out a little bit okay, more in the you. future. How's that? Yeah, no. And we were concerned about that going into yeah. tonight. But. Yeah. but you don't have another meeting this month. So. That's, That's right. <laughs> Happy holidays. That's true. Yes, Mrs. Mack. I wanted to compliment the Johnson County superintendents for receiving the award on their mental health initiative. I know Dr. Southwick started it. Dr. Fulton um, is continuing it. And I'm very, very pleased that it's part of our joint district legislative platform. I don't know if there's any, besides the school finance formula, I don't know if there's any other bigger issue um, confronting us right now. So I really wanted to compliment um, our superintendents for leading the way. Um, and Dr. Strike, I, I like Dr. Fleury's cost on college credit better than yours on the AP. <laughs> but I think that that is a valuable discussion to have. And I really think that any child or any student who wants college credit, can't afford it, want to make sure that those supports are in place because nobody could ever take your education away from you. So I think that's an important thing to look at across the district. So it's not just one high school area. It's all five plus um, um, horizons. They need to have that college credit taken care of. And then something I observed at the very beginning of the meeting tonight is when we had the students come in for the Pledge of Allegiance, I noticed Dr. Neal had a treat for each and every one of them as they walked out. And I just wanted to say that was so kind. And I've seen you do it before. And I don't know if it's, I just think that that's really, because they're giving up their Monday night. And it's a treat for them to be here. But that was nice, Dr. Neal. Sure. That and I think um, it's important for you all to know that we have an amazing partner in our community. Chick-fil-A at the Oak Park Plaza location has come forward and supports, um, it's a nice tie with their mission, but supports our student leaders, our student pledge leaders, and provides them just a token recognition at every meeting so far this school year. So we appreciate their community partnership and thank you for recognizing them. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. The board members, yes, Mrs. Goodburn. Um, Patty, you mentioned mental health, and um, we have a program going on at Shawnee Mission North. Um, I've been seeing it all over Facebook, too, coming across my feed, and it's all about uh, your child's mental wellness and you. It's January 15th at Shawnee Mission North High School. They're asking people to RSVP, and I'm sure that this is available throughout our social media, and too, that's been shared and whatnot, but it's a panel of experts on adolescent mental health and wellness, how it affects your family, and what you can do to support your child on their journey of mental wellness. And it's supported by all sorts of amazing um, us and all sorts of amazing um, organizations. So I hope that, um, that they have great attendance and that we fill up the auditorium. Members. Yes, Mrs. Ela. Last but least, for the five people that remain in the room, I hope you have a wonderful break. <laughs> Be safe and healthy, and hopefully um, have all of our great kids back on January 7th. And I, I'm looking around. Do we have any of those students left to recognize them for being here for their government class? No. I think have finals this week. I know. Um, any other board members with comments? Then I'd like to conclude by saying uh, a, a thank you to this board. Um, this is the end of a calendar year. We're an academic year organization. But a reminder that uh, this board uh, was brand new in January of this year. So you've made it through a whole year. Um, and it's been quite a ride for the new board members. So thank you for the, for the wonderful service.
it's, uh, it's been an energetic, uh, productive year. We have a new addition to our dais, and Dr. Fulton, thank you for this first semester of excellent leadership, and we're so excited about turning into 2019 and all that you're going to bring to this leadership process to the district. With that, our next meeting is January 14th. Have a wonderful holiday. We are adjourned.